Hey, w- welcome to Tweak Radio. Hey, it's time for the Dope Fiend Report. If you're trying to get high, you're going to love the Dope Fiend Report. Listen, uh, stay away from that downtown area. The cops are hot. The dope is not. Cheryl's a rat. Bring her by. We'll still fuck her. <laughs> welcome to LFG 1904 show. You know the fucking deal. Woo! It's your boy, B. Graff. I'm joined by Dustin, and y'all ain't fucking ready for oh today. My oh, my God. Yeah. What the fuck? Oh, yeah. I told you. Oh, my God. So, well, we, so here's the deal. We go to Laughlin, right? First of all, <laughs> he's on one of the homeboys' uh, bikes, and we're going through the fucking uh, what was those? Uh, I can't remember that fucking the mud hills, the, the twisty roads. Yeah, the twisty roads. So Jason, he he knows how to dirt bike. You know, he's a good rider. I forgot about that. This motherfucking <laughs> dude hits. You know how there's no guardrails or nothing? Uh, yeah. He goes on the outside and just starts looping the bike and just gets on it and just shoots the biggest goddamn dust cloud. <laughs> well, I'll roost gu- everybody. through the turn. Yeah. That's what it was because Brian's mic that I borrowed, it has uh, the front rotor shimmies. So yeah. if you squeeze it too hard, it goes shh, 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 shh. It won't grab. And yeah. all of a sudden, everybody turned and I was just like <laughs> in my head doing some amazing saving lives or whatever. Fuck <laughs> I was <gonna> say. <laughs> Drowning baby, saving the And also, I was like, oh, I have to turn. But it was way too late. So I locked those brakes up, slowed as much as I could, and then just went into the dirt. And you know they have the construction berms for where they cut the roads. I just drifted into that thing, locked the back brake up and turned it, and slid around. And as soon as I hit the berm, I floored it. Yeah. And I just went, wah, and this huge <laughs> dust cloud. <laughs> I literally ricocheted off the berm and pulled out of it and then just acted like nothing happened. Oh, like, my God, like, dude. Yeah, that just happened. I was I – was, glad because i didn't want to buy brian a new bike but <laughs> yeah i told him hey man i'm gonna ride this thing with my no windshield i got this other bike i got it's nice it's got a fully built motor everything is really nice it's a really nice bike it's got big egg hammers ape hammers but you can't really put a windshield on it because no. the bars are really so i he, and he found out i was gonna ride that thing and he's like uh to laughlin <laughs> you know we go hundreds of miles an hour and i was like yeah and he's like no nah. t- t- take this all right. I said, all right, if anything happens, I'll just buy you a new one. And I meant it, you know? And, oh. and I felt comfortable using it. But that little turn, I was like, oh, uh, uh, I wonder if this is worth 10 grand. Uh, <laughs> 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 Fucking Jesus Christ. God damn it. We're going out. <laughs> yeah, so what was it? Was it a Dyna? No, no, it soft was tail? A, no, it was a, I want to say road, a road King or road, something. Road but, King classic. Or, but with oh, like exhaust God. and cool handlebars. Okay. You know, I got to look cool, bro. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> no I square shit. Can't look like a fucking jabroni out there. Yeah. Never. It was a really nice bike, though. He, he did it up and had, you know, LEDs and everything on the saddlebags. Plastic saddlebags, too. That lock, you know. Brian <laughs> yeah. H. And yeah. all of us at the gas station, we're all paying $8 for a gallon and no one even noticed. We were just filling up and I was like. Forty-seven dollars. Three. Yeah. I thought there was a five-gallon tank. Yeah. What's going? On? And I was like, Oh man, you guys, it's like eight dollars a gallon here. And yeah. Everyone's like, Whoa. Well, it's Dyna boys. We have no choice. We got to stop every hundred and fifty miles, or or it's a wrap. Yeah, without a doubt. Especially when we be shitting and getting. Jason, welcome to the fucking show, dude. Honored to be here, man. Yeah, I'm really stoked. Fuck. Do we recap at all, or do we just get right into? No, it? let's just get right into it. We'll recap at the end of the show. Where are you from, man? Uh, you know, I was born in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, my dad, uh, raised me till I was around seven or eight. He was a, you know, a drug dealer and a concert. He sold concert shirts. That's where I got my hustle from my dad. And I remember stuff he would say like, Hey, don't be all, all money is good money. If somebody wants $2 worth of weed, they're getting $2 worth. All money is good money. 
and like I'd, I'd hear him converse and stuff and like I picked up a lot of that stuff later on when I you know but got into the business yourself <laughs> yeah exactly uh you know I sold weed all through junior high and I was like the dude that had all the joints I sold dollar haulers I'd take my mom's shake and all the crumbs and roll them in big fat joints with two papers and, and fill them up in a marble pack and I'd sell all the weed so I was invited to everything I knew all the chicks of course. everybody invited me to, hey, you would sell ditching. that for a dollar though yeah I'd sell dollar haulers well it's it's literally what they make uh, ham salad out of. <laughs> Lips and ass and all the shit yeah. they cut off, rake up into the table and put it in a grinder and slap mayonnaise in it and some salsa. <laughs> salsa. Salsa. Yeah, and salsa. I, but that's what I did. And uh, and I, I sold weed all through, you know, just in, even, even you know, 30 years later or something when I was clean, I was, you know, in the beginning, I still sold weed and stuff like that because... <laughs> I just was like a crutch for drug. Me. Yeah, well, it was a crutch for me. You know, it was like easy money and it kept me in the loop. I had one foot in recovery and one foot out because I wasn't sure if it was going to work. Right. But at some point, you know, I just. But yeah, I was uh, raised uh, until I was about 17 or 18. I want to say just on the verge of 19 in Las Vegas. Uh, Shit. My mom was a, you know, a heroin addict and a successful artist and a dancer. She danced in a show there called Splash and it ran at the Stardust or the Riviera for 15 years, that wow. story. So, you know, hey, I was raised wow. around dancers, which yeah. I can I can dance. I got no ass, like, but I can back it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Back these yeah. cheekbones I've, right up. I've never made it clap, but I've tried. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Fuck, man. Growing up in Vegas, got it. Like, I, we have another homie that's from there and he's like, it's fucking insanity. It is. Well, that's why I learned to hustle. You know, uh, I mean, Vegas is like a mafia-style business, right? Um, even your crimes and your drugs and everything. Like, and, um, and, and my mom, you know, she, she hustled the casinos. That's what she did. She dated pit bosses and, uh, you know, had her thing. And, and literally, us, we're, we were intrusions to her fucking life, right? Yeah. Bitter that she had us, but still loved us. So she was sweet, and so needless to say, we always got our hotel room and rolls of quarters. Arcade. I raised. I was literally raised in a fucking arcade until I was like twenty. <laughs> uh, but that was the thing, and and uh, that's where I learned to hustle, and that's where I learned to to steal and come up, and that's where I learned the drug game, uh, because the drug game is like, it's literally uh, selling cars or selling. Uh, juicers or fucking water purifiers it's the same shit yeah but the pace is completely different and the demand has different levels so your effort is proportional to whatever you know and it's like trying to get a rich guy to sell something is you know he might do it because he doesn't have any need to do it you know if he makes some money here and there but you know broke guy will fucking grind until his fucking you know his ankles are bruised up from jumping in and out of moving cars yeah. <laughs> he's trying to get paid yeah exactly uh and then uh, I went to prison in Las Vegas as a youth. A juvenile hall first. I had two back-to-back 18-month terms as a juvenile hall. Uh, juvenile. And um, I went to boot camp out there, which I'll talk about later because prison's a huge part of my story. And uh, and it's I, I really believe that, uh, and I talked about that double whammy, how uh-huh. the convict mentality and that state-raised training uh, puts us at, we have literally... We're the guys standing in front of a train. It, it it hurts us. We're the we suffer the most convicts and addicts. But um, then I moved to California when I was uh, right around. I got out of prison and I came to live. My whole family had just moved while I was in jail in Vegas. They all wanted a new start, 
And um, hold sister, on, we got to pause real quick. Okay. So you have siblings, right? Yeah, I have two sisters. Older or younger? One. You're in the middle? One about five years older and one is one year older. Okay, so you're the baby. I was the baby and uh, and they were taller than me too. Oh, I couldn't but you be- still had to fuck some fools up, I bet. Well, I fucking, you know, I was the... Uh, I, I was the dad, literally. My I was t- 10 years old, and my mom would, you know, pull that old dopamine. Hey, I used all your drugs. I did all your shit. And then send the kid out to get rid of the dude. And he, he th- there was times they didn't want to leave. And I'd be like, bro, you got to roll. She's asleep. You know? And they'd be like, well, hey, man. You know, uh, well, tell her. And I'd be like, bro, she's asleep. You got to go. And then I'd be bitter at my mom. You know, you got me putting these dudes out, and they're fucking high and on some shit. And they're, you know, it's taking two hours to go through their pockets and all this shit. And I'm like, go, bro. You got to go. You know, and Fuck. That, that's the kind of environment I was raised in, you know, and but uh, I came out here to California and, and I just I knew about math and stuff, but it wasn't like, you know, I was more of a hustler, like uh, selling stuff. And I used stuff just because it was stuff. But man, when I came to California, I literally discovered meth and they called it crank out there. But. We had our own version of it in Vegas. We would take crosstops that you got f- from the porno shop and take Rush, which you got from the porno shop, <laughs> and, uh, and we would mix them together and, then, and give them to Marines and that, at the strip clubs out front. I'd sell them to Marines, and they would snort it, and they'd get that Rush, and they'd think, oh, this is good shit with a couple beers, man. It was great, and right. I would just sell that. I would push that stuff like magic. I'd take yellow Wendy's napkins and rub them on the ground, and the black top mixed with the yellow... Ended up and shredded it, made it look like a bag of weed every time. And I would roll it up, flash it, and put him, give me the tw- and cut. <laughs> I could do it right now and make a legit bag of weed from a Wendy's napkin, bro. No shit. Just on the ground. I learned, man, I learned some. <laughs> you got some moves, player. Yeah. But, but, you know, and then, uh, man, that, that meth literally destroyed my life. <laughs> I wasn't even a heroin addict until I was in my 30s. Right. You know, and I learned how to do heroin in prison, literally. Uh, and there was a time in prison, like, we didn't use heroin. You mm-hmm. know, it was like, oh, boy, we don't play that, all that, you know. And there's, like, a lot of groups in there that claim that they don't use and all this. And, you know, and everybody's using, you know. Yeah, everybody's like, getting high. <laughs> everybody's getting high, you know. But uh, but that's where I'm from. And now I live, I, I was raised in Oceanside for 20-something years, you know, since I was 19. Um, I did a lot of prison time. I had a J number. And anyone out there that doesn't know what a J number is, it it literally means what it sounds. <laughs> J cat crazy. No shit. Uh, no, a J number means it, it means you've been doing this for a long time. Do you have a single J number? J5. Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> at the Damn. time, now they're on like s- s- triple P. My, brother, my brother's a BR n- number. And he's he just got locked up about a year ago. Yeah. So and like at the time, to me, the the fucking the, the heads you looked up to, they had e, H numbers and E numbers. You're like, damn, these fools are vets. You know, they had yeah. tattoos on their neck and they were fucking. All of them were big. They couldn't even wipe their own ass. They were so big. <laughs> <laughs> just all they did is lift weights and shit. And when they took the weights out of prison, incidentally, I wanted to riot over it. I couldn't get anyone to help me. They were too busy worried about tobacco and shit. <laughs> you know, it's like fuck. But um. So yeah, I was raised in Oceanside, and, uh, and now I live in El Cajon, uh, married, kids, and just really doing well. And I'll I'll get to that journey because it took a while. It, well, it, it, actually, I've been out five years. What? Yeah, I've been out five years uh, from my last little thing, and I was I had 
seven years at one time when I got out in 2004 and I got married and built a life and then some tragedy happened and I'll get to that too. And, you know, my goal is to, cause people out there, you know, they, uh, I always dismissed everyone else's tragedies because in comparison to mine, they were nothing. And that is not the truth. Mm. The truth is, is that despite everything that you've gone through and everything that you've lived through, um, and, and suffered and all that, everybody has an equal st- different events and stuff and major moments in their lives that were traumatic and traumas. And a convict, we're, we can't indulge in all that trauma. We can't look... At, I look back now and discovered traumas because as I'm growing up, you don't have... the You can't afford to absorb those and be hurt by them. You have to brush them off, suck them up, diminish them, ignore them and bury them to keep pushing, right? We're taught, I mean, there's something terrifying about, you know, five Samoans running in your cell and stomping the hell out of you. There's something traumatic about pacing back and forth, knowing that it's going down at unlock and you've got a good hour and a half or two hours to think about what's going to happen to you and your stomach's tight and you get angry because you got to fucking go through this shit and do this shit and you're going to do it. That's just your, it's go time. You're going to do it. And those are traumatic moments where you're embracing that fear and you're overriding it because you have to do what you have to do. And like you look back at those situations when you're clean and worked on yourself and you go, wow, I lived through some amazing shit because I've never, and I never gave credit to anything, God or anyone. Oh man, you know, I always took credit for everything that I survived. That's right. They can't fuck with me. (laughs) I got away from the police. That's right. I fucking man can't nobody drive like I fucking got jumped in a fucking laundry room and got up out of there and fucking man, anyone else would have been killed. You know, I I always took credit for everything and and I always diminished the trauma of it, the fear of it. Right. Mm. And so how can I be grateful to survive something if I'm taking credit for it and ignoring what it really was? So when I worked on myself, what I did was I went back through all those traumatic moments and really discovered the core of what happened. And you know what? I was finally humbled by what I'd been through because first off that first half of trauma through life in and out of prison and, you know, the street violence that comes with it and the, the, you know, the cops rushing your house and your mom going to jail a bunch of times and you're staying with a bunch of fucking, I had a 1600 ants, <laughs> Auntie Michelle, <laughs> Auntie Louise, Auntie Pete. And those are all traumatic abandoned moments, you know, but we, like I said, we sucked them up. But when I got to go back and look at those, and realize that, man, I really survived some crazy shit. Hey, that one time I almost died. Like literally when my life got some value, I was able to look at those moments and I was humbled by the experience. And then, only then could I have any gratitude. Thank God I lived through that. Because at the time, there's no hum- humility. I wasn't humbled. I, I, I did that. You know, I lived because I handled that. And they, you know, and like. I learned all that later. Like, there's a lot of traumas. Most of us have no dad. We've been cut cut out of the family unit. has been blown apart or, you know. But I was raised around dancers, which was good. You know? 20-something-year-old dancers at my house. I'm 14. Partying. I'm 14 trying to learn every move. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> all stretching with them and shit. <laughs> uh, and that's literally how I got. To be a ladies man, ladies, you know what I'm talking. About. <laughs> That's right. I Hold dated on. half of North County. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
Ladies, man. Hey, we'll be getting back to you shortly, ladies. <laughs> but in the meantime. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but that's how I got my... I understood women because I'd hear them bicker and argue and talk about how Ken broke their heart and and how their hair is and their stuff. And I just and incidentally, when I got into the drug game, uh, I I was uh, 17, 18 years old, walking the prostitutes to their room and keeping time on them and knocking on the door if it took too long. And I had all these Filipino prostitutes for some reason. I plugged, you know, because I would get drugs from stuff and they would always break me off and. I was I did the prostitute thing with these fucking chicks running the street. You know, they all had their little rooms they stayed in, and they did business in and out of them, and they always broke me off. And I'd walk them to the car, or I'd bang on the door, hey, it's time to go, you know, or play play the brother or the manager, because hey, they'd be taking too long, and it's time to cut. And uh, I was always drawn. And, and, and that's like when guys get worked by chicks. I have no remorse. We have no mercy for you, dog. I'm like, dude. <laughs> Because I always sided with the girls because I understood the struggle and how right. guys are real fucking pricks, you know, and how they're out for one thing and they, you know, promise them this and that and then, you know, they get laid and then they fucking give them half of what they promised and then they, you know, bounce. I see ya. But, 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 so I always sided with the women and my wife even says, you know, oh, this happened and she got done and I was like, well, and he, I was like, well, that's his bad. He fucking shouldn't have been over there. And she's like, you're codependent with these girls. You're always on their fucking side. And I'm yeah, like, well, well <laughs> you know, I have no, no fucking remorse for dudes that get worked by chicks. <laughs> I just, cause I grew up with it, but, um, that's a whole other story. That's a whole different hustle. But that's anyways, that's where I'm from Oceanside. And I still throw up the O. Yeah. But depending on what's popping, I'll throw up the V for Vista. That's right. Yeah, V's you know, up. <laughs> I'll throw up that East County love. And uh, and most of us are transplants, transplants anyways, yeah, right. from all over, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I I had to leave Oceanside, not because I couldn't get clean there, because I actually got clean there one time. But to build a new life, there was it, everything I had and wanted was out here. Right. And so, I, you know, I moved out here and, and it's been great since, you know. A lot of work, though. A lot of work. But now it's autopilot, really. You know, I do my stuff. I stay clean. I go to meetings. I hang out with people that are clean. I help other people, uh, you know, and I, and it gives me value and purpose. Because everything I've been through, everything, every jail time, every needle, every freaking nodding out, every time I got jumped, every time I robbed someone, all that's completely worthless. It only has value in, in the rooms. Because right. my experience is tailor-made for somebody else. And you... How many times have you guys heard someone share or even shared after somebody and they come up to you after the meeting? Hey, man, I, man, I, re used, I needed to hear that, man. And, right. and now a doorway is open for you to help that person get clean. They might go to 100 meetings and hear a bunch of people share and they, they never come out of their shell. But something compelled them through your words because it's tailor made for that individual. And they literally come up and now there's a doorway for you to help somebody. Mm -hmm. And so my experience has it's absolutely a waste except for in recovery it has value. it was a waste yeah complete waste. now it has now it has value value yeah. yes and in in turn i i get to be valuable and that's like you know i have a purpose and i receive and i can give you know it feels good for someone to say man i really love that share you know and not everyone's gonna like it you know and there's people that go you know hey man that was a cool share but i mean i mean you sure? And 
if people would say, hey, there's no cussing in this meeting, I'd go, get the fuck out of here. I fucking, <laughs> I fucking literally ran from the police with a fucking needle in my neck for fucking seven miles because I didn't want to lose my vein. <laughs> I fucking hold, held it in there. You're going to tell me I can't cuss in a fucking meeting? Go fucking die somewhere. <laughs> I mean, you, you were know. saying it before we, we got on is like you would hear dudes that come in and like not everything has to be a war story, but not everything has to be fucking gold plated either. But you were saying how like... Oh, I lost two wives and two houses. You're like, I don't fucking relate to that. Yeah, because I literally thought that if I had that stuff, I wouldn't be in a meeting. I wouldn't be in recovery. Right. I wouldn't need it, you know? And that, that was in my early years. And I was so immature when I came in. Guys would share, you know, they'd say, uh, you know, Bob, and I'm a real alcoholic. And I'd fucking stand the fuck up in the middle of a meeting and go, what am I fucking here, pl- pretending we're all the rest of us are fucking playing? <laughs> pretending to be fucking uh, drunks? What the fuck do you mean by that? You know, one guy was, hey, I'm a real, I go, I'm a go low bottom drunk. And, and, and I'm the, and, and I literally call these fucking dudes out. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys, all, like, what does that mean? You're like desperately trying to be, I'm more pathetic than he was. I'm a gutter <laughs> drunk. And he's a low bottom drunk, but I'm a real alcoholic. You're like, fuck. And I would, I had no etiquette at all, you know? <laughs> or, or, or like people would share about something, and I'd I they would look at me while they're sharing, like just glancing around the room, and they'd be like, you know what I mean, and uh, and then I'd say, oh, this motherfucker's talking about me, <laughs> oh, and I hey. literally would say. Hey, if you got something to say to me, homeboy, yeah, just yeah. say it. Yeah, hey, okay, hey, time the fuck out here. You talking to me? Uh, yeah. yeah, literally, people, the whole the whole meeting would be like all uh, quiet, weird, you know. And, uh, and I was sat in the back with a slingshot when I first got, got started going to meetings. So I, I, and I didn't, you know, I didn't. Even my first sponsor was a straight up fucking convict, and he didn't know shit about recovery. His shares were ridiculous, you know. He, and and there I, I was so, on the four yard. Yeah, I asked him to sponsor me because. He looked like me and walked, and he yeah. had that comic. And to be honest, I couldn't tell that dude the truth about anything. I couldn't tell that motherfucker I was stealing batteries for a shot. I was telling him that, yeah, all these fucking broads I was pimping, r- fucking ratting on me, and the fucking cops came, and I had jumped in the lake with six pounds of dope, and I almost drowned because I couldn't get it out of my fucking <laughs> pants. Right. You know, I'd make up some bullshit because <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell this motherfucker. I'm a convict, oh boy. I can't be fucking telling you I was riding around on a bicycle with different sized tires. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck no. And, that, and, and it wasn't that way in the beginning. It took a long time to get low like that. Right. But you Let's know, go back then. Let's go. Okay. What, what was your first introduction to recovery? Did mom ever try? Uh, that's a great fucking story. My mom died with 18 years clean, and she helped. She worked for mental health services, and she helped almost all the women in North Carolina. Yvonne Kusky, uh, Osai Cat. There's so many people that my mom helped get clean. And Yvonne live in Temecula now? Yeah. I know. Craig and Yvonne? Yeah, 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 I know exactly who you're talking about. She helped, Yvonne was my... I, we loved each other but we were just toxic and, and the, my other boy Craig who's with her now we'd always you know not war with each other but just always war with each other over <laughs> like, she wrote me it must be him and they they have a beautiful family you know and, and I'm so glad that she like made it out you know she's like doing counseling stuff and just yeah. things and um, but my mom really helped her out and helped all these people out but this is a crazy story so when my mom got clean, I, I got hit by a motorcycle on a stolen in a on a stolen bike. I got hit by a car, broke both of my legs and and, and my jaw, and I was out a few days in the hospital, uh, completely out. And uh, they didn't know if I was gonna come back or anything, you know. And um, I just magically opened my eyes, you know, and I was like, and the, the nurse was fidgeting over my body, you know, and she was like, oh. Hey, 
hey, you're awake. Oh, my God, you're awake. You're yeah. alive. And, hey, she was gorgeous, right? <laughs> she was just a pretty nurse. And uh, she's like, can you talk? And uh, I looked at her, and then I looked around the room, and I saw my home, my mom. my sister, Everybody was there because they thought I was going to die. You know, I really got messed up. They life-flighted me off the bridge on Horn Street in Oceanside. Damn. Damn. AJ, oh, hey, FaceTime oh, video. Perfect. Go ahead and answer oh. <laughs> You're live at five, brother. Yeah. What up, my boy? Hey, I'm I'm out here doing a podcast. Let me call you back. Yeah. He said, "Loser." <laughs> <laughs> no reply. Just hung oh, I gotta put it on fucking do not disturb. Yeah. My bad, dude. No, it's all I good. completely spaced on that. So you get life lighted off Hornbridge. Yeah, and uh, and so the nurse, you know, she's like, I looked at my whole family. Everyone's in the room, and uh, and the nurse said, "Can you?" Can you t- talk? Are you can you are you okay? and then I, all I said was, "Are you my nurse?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm your nurse." And I looked over at my mom and my family. I said, "Let the healing begin." <laughs> <laughs> and the whole room started laughing. Right. But anyways, they arrested me. They came and arrested me, but I was too messed what up. What the to fuck was their problem? <laughs> fucking bricks. Hey, hey, you got hit. What the fuck? I got hit and, and ran on. I yeah. didn't even know though at that time. Oh, okay. So they came and arrested me, and they're like, "Well, you know, you're gonna do this and yeah. sign in court and everything. We can't take you in because you're all." You know, pinned up and everything, whatever. So, um, and and by the way, guys, if you ever break both legs and you're a tweaker, you will hop on one of those motherfuckers <laughs> and carry your crutches on the other arm because <laughs> wheelchairs and one crutch at a time takes way too long to go score. <laughs> uh, that being said, and they didn't have those skateboard shoes out back then. I would have had one wheel on both of them. But um, so I I um my my a friend of mine, Rob Rivera, who's Still clean to this day, but anyway, I'll get that. He, uh, I met, he, I, he was when I first came to California. I lived with my sister's apartments. He was the manager, and he was into drugs and stuff, but he, he hadn't broke him yet, you know. And um, anyways, we started getting high together and stuff, and he lost his management and everything. Anyways, I went to prison, and he showed up in prison, and he was, uh, his name was Rivera, and he spoke Spanish, but he was white. And so, when he went to the joint, he started hanging out with the Mexicans, and. By then, it was my second term or whatever. I was already a full, fully-fledged vet. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I fucking, I knew what time it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. But they wanted to, they wanted to get him over it. And I fucking was like, nah, fuck that. You know what? He doesn't fucking know anything. We don't make him, we don't break him, we make him. Right? right. And I, and I I'll vouched for him. And they said, well, you're going to, he's going to, and, and he ran with us and, uh, and he stayed with the whites and, uh. And he didn't make no mistakes. <laughs> and, and we became friends, you know. And he was kind of a square. He wasn't, you know, he never was a, a G or anything like that. But, he, right. but he's so used to running with the Mexican. But and we got to print. Anyways, long story short, so I got hit by this car, and uh, he moved in with me he, to help, like. And we were using drugs, and my mom and everything. My mom was a full-on drug addict, uh, and she had an apartment in Oceanside. And um, she hadn't gotten clean yet. What year is this, by the way? This is probably 90, 96 or something, 92 or something, 97 or something like that. What kind of bike did you steal? It was a, a Jixer. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. GSXR. And I took Don Corbin on that thing at 120 miles an hour, and her helmet flew off her head. <laughs> and she fucking almost, she called her sister to come get her from Denny's. She's like, Yeesh. I can't believe you did that. She was terrified. I thought we were just having fun. But anyways, <laughs> um, so... Uh, 
Rob starts living with us, and you know, my mom's older, but she's smoking hot. She's got the body, and she's good looking, and she's a dancer. You know, she's always like dancing and working out or whatever. Yeah. So I uh, I end up getting healed enough, and I'd say about six or twelve months, or almost a year that he'd been living with us, and I ended up going to jail. I got a sixteen month term for that bike. Fuck. Yeah, and uh, during that time though. I called John Riley the motorcycle lawyers, right? Because this bitch tried to sue me for for her damage to her car. But she left the scene. So when I got that replace report and I saw that she had left the scene, I said, oh, no. Oh. And at the time, they were yeah. called Chiching. Motorcycle wreck called John Riley and the, the motorcycle lawyers. They were on every commercial. And so I called them and they came out, took pictures and all that. And I ended up winning the maximum amount, which was $15,000. But right when I went to jail, I got the settlement. And so I signed power attorney over to my mom. I was going to get out wealthy, and I had a couple. She sent me a couple packages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Fuck yeah, I'm balling. You know, $15,000 to a tweaker is a lot of money. Fuck, Fuck yeah. yeah. Bro, a lifetime of drugs. I got a couple packages, and I think maybe I had 500 bucks on my books when I got out. She spent all that shit. I didn't get none of it. I fucking got so mad. I was like, you know what? Uh, she's like, you know how many times I took you to court and how many times I've paid for your fucking uh, court bail, but fucking bar. And she was like, and we needed help here financially. And she spent all that money. I was Gone. so bitter. I was very bitter. Yeah. But um, this is what I was, the point I was getting to is um, this is how my mom got clean, dude. And um, so I ended up doing a violation and I got out. And my mom was acting very funny, uh, like, on the phone when I'd call her and stuff. And she's like, listen, I got something to tell you. And I thought she was going to say, like, I got cancer or something. Right. And, and by the way, I had a list of people I was literally going to kill and stab 100 times if I found out my mom died while I was in prison. And people would get themselves on a list and have no idea. Oh, and shit. And they'd be like, hey, homeboy. And i oh, you're fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'd do something and get themselves off the list. I was like, nuts. <laughs> but anyways, so I get out. And um, she comes and picks me up, and she's, like, uh, driving me home, and she's, like, listen, I got something to tell you. And I thought she was going to tell me, like, my sister died or something crazy because she was acting very fucking strange. And she's, like, me and me and Rob, we're, t we're together. <laughs> and I was, like, what? <laughs> yeah, oh, and it gets better, right? We love each other. Uh He's just, he's, and I'm just like, oh, this, my homie, he's fu literally fucking, you know. He's with my mom. Stole my mom. I've been a mama's <laughs> boy since then. I, I can't keep a man, you know, like when I was a kid. My mom. But, and so like I, and she's like, and then it gets worse. I couldn't come live with them. So she gave me, you know, a box of clothes and she wouldn't let me in the house at all. And she said, we're trying to get clean. And you can't come home here. You can't come in here. And I was like, where am I going to go? I, I right. said, hey, I don't know. You can't come here. We're, 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 we're literally getting clean. So I felt like he stole my mom and yeah. my house. I had yeah. nowhere to go. I'm on a... Fuck man. you, Rob. Oh, yeah. I fucking literally... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to see you, homeboy. Yeah, and I... I was literally, I planned his death a million times, you know, and I'd, I'd be in even like two years later because I didn't run into him for almost three years. And uh, I'd be sitting in a stolen car up the street praying with all, and I didn't believe in Jesus, but I was like promising to repent six million times if he just came outside. <laughs> and I'd haunt him. And like during this time, my mom 
was plugged in with everyone. She's a she knows everyone in the hood and everything else. She's been around. We get high together. She would find where I was at every time, no matter what. And she would say, hey, I'm taking, I'd find a note on my stolen car. Hey, I'm taking six months. Or some chick next door neighbor would go, hey, hey, come here. This, your, your mom left you this. And it's like, come see me take my one year. I'm, please, I miss you. I want to see you. And I hated her. I hated Rob. I was like, fuck you motherfuckers. You yeah. know, tr- tr- put me out on the street. And I was suffering too. It wasn't like they put me out and I started a successful drug business. <laughs> fuck no. I was just fucking, you know, stealing fucking uh, soda machines and, and cut, torch cutting them out. You know. <laughs> and, quarter uh, hustling. Dude, I was good at it. I take a quarter on a fish string and go bottom floor of the hotel and buy and i take a chick with me to rake the money out and by the time i got to the top i'd have three four hundred bucks i'd hit every machine i'd read it a dollar and then press the change return read a dollar press the change return and then and and then of course it you'd have to buy that soda so you just get the change and dump your job is to rake change and dump sodas in the trash can and i just and i'll be like give me a hit give me a hit and she'd be hitting <laughs> like, yeah and then i was just trying try to fuck her in the ice room at the same time like, <laughs> tweaking on the fucking uh, pot machine and i got really good at it and i'd drive from in a I'd get a U-Haul and drive here. And then I started just taking the whole machines. I'd tilt them up, put them on a skateboard, and roll them to the back of my Subaru Brat or U-Haul, tip them over and take the whole fucking thing, cut them up in the back, and then literally refill them with grape Shasta. It didn't matter what soda you ordered, a fucking Mountain Dew, a Coke, you'd get a grape <laughs> Shasta because they were cheap. <laughs> I'd put them back in an apartment complex and plug them in. And I fucking, twice a week, I'd slide them over to fucking get all the change and dollar bills out of them. And, and I had... Literally more machines than a legit vending company. Every Dude. Yeah, I had, my car was dragging on the ground. I had four million sodas and six buckets of quarters in the back <laughs> of the seat. That was one hustle. I did that for a while until they started doing the little fucking trickery, safety, tricky things. Like, <laughs> but it reads a dollar. You buy the soda and it kicks you down the change. Kicks you 35 cents at a time. So imagine the patience. <laughs> fucking $70. Two and a half hours later, sweating like a pig, <laughs> trying to get blown at the same time. <laughs> and it didn't get matter. Why'd you stop? I was right there. Because <laughs> I can't move my face. That's why. Like, um, Just pin anyway, your head against the machine. But anyways, uh, so you know what? And, and I'll fast forward a few years. Uh, when I finally got clean, you guys, uh, I hadn't seen my mom in a long time. None of my family. Uh, when I got clean, I wasn't clean very long. Um, I think maybe 90 days. And it hit me like a ton of bricks how hard it must have been for my mother to put me out of the house and let me run the streets while she got clean. Mm. And anyways, I ran into him about three years, and it was the worst time to run into him. I just hit a lick. I had a car full of heads that wanted their part, right? And I just bah, stopped and leaped out of the fucking car. It was still rolling. I seen him coming out of Circle K. And I rolled up on him, and I had, and I was like, yeah, motherfucker. And he's like, oh. and then he puts his hands in his pockets, and he goes, I love your mom, homeboy. Just do it. Do it. Beat me. I love her. I'm still with her, and I love her, and we're clean. And I said, oh, you're clean? And I fucking threw him on the ground with just years of rage, just like, ah. And betrayal, like, and and everybody in the car, they, these motherfuckers, hey, come on, man, what the fuck are you doing, man? We got shit to do. Like, you know, <laughs> they, they're causing a scene in the parking lot. We a lick. I'm trying, they're trying to get, so I reached in his pocket. I tore out his little chump chains he had. And I said, I'm going to fucking kill you when I find you. Watch. You fucking hurt me, homeboy. And I left him. You know what? He, when my mom died, they were together almost 20 years. And he was with her until she died. And he's still clean today. I just saw him a few months back. No when shit. When I went to Missouri, yeah. My my sister had a stroke and I went flew out to Missouri. 
and uh, and he flew out too and i saw him and he was just like so proud of me to do good he he stayed with her until the wow. end and they stayed together and love each other and i've been with them many times you know out in arizona when i first met my family again we met halfway in arizona with my first wife and um I was so when when I saw them all standing there, dude, I just broke inside. I missed them so bad. You know, I'd been running real hard on the streets and stuff. You know, we get when we're in that younger phase when dope worked and it was still good and you didn't worry about the police and you weren't hearing voices and you weren't fucking <laughs> stealing batteries to get high. You were actually had big gulps full of dope and cups full of fucking mm-hmm. but everyone was cooking and all the homies had connects at the fucking with the paisas and the fucking yeah. and the South Riders <laughs> and we had we had big dope and we had big money and we were, you know, the biggest crimes we were hitting were, you know, taxing fools and, and collecting for the connect, you know, and just doing dumb shit and rolling around with guns and thinking that we were invincible, you know? And, uh, and many times, you know, I've been near death and uh, I always brushed it off. I never saw it as a trauma. It was just part of the game that we were doing. But, um, so, so that is like one of the greatest things is that they got clean and stayed together until she fucking died. 18 years, huh? Wow. Yep. 18 wow. years she died clean. And he's still clean today. Wow. He's got another whole other family out there, and in, in, uh, he lives out there in New Jersey. So that is a trip, man. Wow. That yeah. is a trip. And then. What uh, was the lick you had just hit when you pulled up on Rob? I, it was. I, I can't even remember, but it was probably something dumb. Look, <laughs> look and I terrorized Oceanside. I'd wait for the trains to go by, and as soon as the train tracks went in, I'd fucking sledgehammer the fucking front glass windows out of discount tire. Just You couldn't hear nothing. The trains were so loud. In Oceanside yeah. at night. Foggy and a train going by. I terrorized <laughs> business. Oakley store. I fucking backed my truck into the door. Blam! Folded that whole thing in and, and ran out with a billion pairs of glasses <laughs> while the train rumbled down the street. Man, I did Fuck. I did crazy shit, you know. Uh, and Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. There's no <laughs> proof that I actually did it. Yeah. These I never are stories. Left. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I never left fingerprints. Yeah. <laughs> Story time. Yeah. So yeah. the first time you get introduced to recovery, what's your first, how'd that go down? Because obviously you had 90 days when you fucking, right? Yeah. Um, well, so, so like, um, first off, I want to talk about this real quickly. Some defining moments in my life. Mm-hmm. We've all had them, right? Like when your parents die or something traumatic happens to you, or it could be a good thing or just a moment where you made a big decision, right? Uh, my first major defining moment was when I hit the prison yard. And let me tell you, man, all my street stuff and, you know, raised by 10 dads and all that shit and all the, you know, raised by convicts mentalities and all that. Nothing, county jail, nothing prepared me for every fucking race rushing that fence. Huge dudes, bandanas, you know, all this shit. Hey, homeboy, hey, Wood, where you from? Hey, fool, hey, Chuck, I see you, hey. Sounds banky. Well, you know, everyone, yeah. where you from? It, it was intense. Like, fuck, I'm standing there in my jumpsuit weighing, you know, I'd never had a prison workout yet. And uh, I had some juvenile hall shit, but in my little fucking bedroom, man, my pillowcase. And I was like, holy fuck. And this big ass dude, he locked eyes with me. He said, hey, hey, homie, where are you from? And I made a decision, not instantaneously, because I was like taking it all in. But then I just made a decision. I ain't fucking, I ain't going to be one of those motherfuckers that are scary. Fuck that. And it was a defining moment because that second I decided how I was going to carry myself in the joint. Right? I was going to do what I had to do. And I was, and I leaned out of line with my little chicken chest and my chin. And I said, I'm from Oside, homeboy, San Diego. And it, just like that, 
I was a part of. Oh, you guys are deep. San Diego, Diego's deep on the yard. You know what building you're going to? Uh, I think we're gonna go right over here. Okay, well we'll we'll get something to you and a clavo and, and take care of you, whatever you need. You guys should be out of there a couple days and hit the yard and just like that. Damn. Because and at that time they saw me. They know you're fresh. I know when a guy's fresh. They said, "Here's here's here's a soldier. We can put him. We can make him up and do what we got to do with him." And you know, I never clicked up with any specific group because my dad always said, "Man, you know what? Never click up with anybody because I don't trust anyone to make decisions for me. They're 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 making decisions. I mean, you gonna mind somebody? Don't get me wrong. Right. But 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 you you can mind a command without you know owing them. Being to, you, it's an unspoken loyalty right when the brand tells you do something or the word come down the bigger homies and it's time to ride or whatever you're, you're going to do it as if it, you might as well be a skinhead or you, whatever it is you're going to handle it with those dudes just like you you were clicked up but you still have anything else other than that and don't get me wrong i was quarter way in with everybody i knew all the heads i knew all these dudes and uh, and I was a knucklehead. I stayed in in the hole. I stayed in the shoe. I went from yard to yard. Put your this. hand up. Yeah, and 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 until I got to like a certain type of, and I don't want to say like a certain toughness, but like even, all of us, once you're tried and true, you know, and things go down, you can delegate shit to other people. It doesn't come your way anymore. You know, it's like you're the guy in flip flops taking it easy while motherfuckers are going crazy over here in the corner handling their shit. You never really had to like unless it just jumped for no reason or it was time to go and then everybody shows up but like you get to a certain point where you're you're calling your own shots and you're calling other shots as it unfolds your voice matters is what i'm trying to say mm. and not a lot of dudes get there they they just don't have what it takes or they fold up and and the guys carry their bibles in there and all that and i was a speech guy brother listen <laughs> it's personal because i need the bed space I got 10 white beds down here. You're going to fucking show up. You're going to fucking handle it. And you're going to be part of us. And you're going to fucking do it. Or you're going to get rolled out of here in a fucking stretcher. You might as well stand strong with us and get some pride and get some fucking, get, get a physique that's, that says I can defend myself and I can defend my homies. That's what you're going to do here. You're not going to be, you can carry that Bible all you want, but when it goes down, you better throw it at the first motherfucker I tell you to. <laughs> and that's the mentality. And like, you know, we're checking paperwork, all this dumb shit. It seems like kid shit now. Right. And I show you yours. You show me mine. It's like <laughs> so ridiculous. But it's it's the it's the program, you know, and I fucking embraced it. And, um, you know, I tr and try taking that mentality out of the street. You know, you roll it in someone's garage. And you're twice as big as anybody there. Right. And you can read their fucking minds like you're a, a fucking psychic. Right. Oh, this dude's scary. Oh, this guy's trying to come up. This guy's lame. That dude's terrified. Oh, this chick wants to fuck. You could literally read a whole room. <laughs> that was subtle. And yeah, and just dominate the whole fucking room because your presence was massive. And 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 there's something powerful about a built convict. His mentality, his body posture, his energy, his eyes. You know, I'd sit in the corner and and kneel down with my forty ounce and use my cap as an ashtray and just watch everybody and everybody was freaked out by it they were like this fucking dude's nuts dude and there's a sick pride in feeling that way having that respect and that fear and i use that many times on the street we all have you know and it it's the reason why chicks come at two in the morning and fucking rescue us when we're surrounded by police you know that it's the reason why dudes fucking let you hide out in their house for four days they're fucking not scared of you but there's a power and it just has to happen and they understand it at some level. And even that disappeared in the end on that. The dope took even that.
And that was a hard truth to face. Because in the end, I was low budget, low budget, straight up dope fiend, pushing fools off their bike because I didn't want to walk, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, excuse me, you know what time it is? And just shove them off their bicycle. <laughs> I'll leave it at the laundromat. You know, I fucking ride. (laughs) That's how low budget. But I still saw myself as that individual who had commanded respect and had size. And and it it clashed with how I was really living. Until I got clean, I really had to look at some hard truths. And I would say, this is the truth, but here's the hard truth. I haven't done that in a minute. You know, and in the end, oh, you put me in a corner, I'll fight like like Mike Tyson. But nine times out of ten, in the end... If I could get away or sneak out or run, I probably would because I didn't have the, I didn't have the, I was broken. And that pride, that pride and that prison training literally kept me alive through everything. And in the end, it's like the Hulk, you know, or spinach. Oh, pressure, pressure, pressure. Bow. Let me explode. I'll kill everyone. And like that literally kept me alive. And um, even that in the end was, was gone. You know, mm-hmm. that pride. And that was a, and my first thing when I got clean, I had to, I had to get clothes and look like I was still the homie and I didn't want, I couldn't believe I was on a bicycle. I was like, just left it. I just, those were the priorities was to look like I hadn't been beaten and mm. destroyed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I had nothing. I had nothing. I had to steal everything I got from Walmart and fucking Home Depot. You know, I did Home Depot returns for three years clean. That's how much shit I stole when I first got out. Cause I had Fuck. nothing. I needed money. I needed clothes. And I, but that's a whole nother story. But like my priorities were so fucked up. I was so immature. I had no idea what it meant to be clean and really do this shit. And I read those defects of character. I don't have any defects of character. When I'm clean, I'm a good dude. Like I, I had no idea what right. any of that shit meant. And then God, you know, oh. And I use that many times as an out, right? Uh, God. Oh, what happened, bro? You were doing good. You were going to all these meetings. Ah, they want you to do all this God shit, you know? And like yeah. that was like my out, right? And yeah. And like I never gave any of it a chance. It was just so so foreign to me and people would share stuff like today I'm happy joyous and free and I would literally slide my chair violently and walk out. Who the fuck talks like that? Happy joyous and free. I mean, it was literally that corny and I couldn't take I was just so immature. And, and but the thing is and I share this because despite that, despite that training, that mentality, that unbelievable lifestyle that I suffered through, I still got clean. That's how powerful recovery is. It takes a motherfucker who's been trained like a Navy SEAL his whole life or a fucking drug at train how to get over and get got on and read the room and do all this shit. It took all of that training and it still sunk in. And today I have a great life and I had to work on it. I had to work on it. You know, there was a lot of stuff like surrender. That word was horrible. Surrender. I never quit nothing. Surre- yeah. yeah. Hey, quitting's easy. I've done it a hundred times. Right. <laughs> right. You know, uh, but like there was just stuff and most of it now that I'm older, you know, and, and got a little time, it, it, I didn't want to embrace it. It was super, it wasn't a big leap to go, okay, maybe there's a God. How many times I've been in the backseat of a car and said, oh my God, please don't pull me over. Please, God, don't, oh my God, please, mom, don't die. Right. Don't let my mom be dead. Oh my God, please. Oh, please let the connect be there. Please, Lord. Right. I fucking, <laughs> please. Oh, he's there. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't a huge leap to believe in something greater than yourself. And it was real simple to do, but I didn't want to because I had all this preconceived. Whose phone is that? That, that may be mine. Yeah. The ladies hear me on the oh, mic, the, the, but I better tell them I'm married. So yeah. text them. That's right. Text, quit texting me. Three in the morning. It's three in the morning somewhere. Hey. <laughs> But um, when was that first prison term? That was in 1993. Well, actually, my first prison term. Get this. Uh, 
I was in Las Vegas, Nevada. I had just done two back-to-back juvenile terms mm. at this place called Elko, Nevada. They literally put you in a six-man airplane and, and fly you out there, and it's all... <laughs> I, just, I, just, I thought, this is the rickiest plane. I've, I've never been on a plane, but it was the rickiest one they could find, I guarantee it. <laughs> uh, and they fly you out in the middle, and then you get off, and there's these two brothers, Mr. Anderson, the Anderson brothers. They run that whole place. They literally have, like, wardens, and they have, like, a, a bird farm and an old warehouse that's haunted. And, uh, you know, the, anyways, they get off the plane right there, and they and they tell you, you guys are welcome to run anytime you want. If you'll notice, the first thing here is you'll see no fences. And there's a reason for that. You can run right now, and I guarantee you'll starve to death. You're so far, unless you're a trained nature survivalist, and even then you might die. There's bobcats. There's freezing temperatures at night. There's, there, so if you want to run, pl- go ahead. That's one less dude I got to worry about. All right. For those of you that aren't going to run, let me tell you what time it is. If you cross me in any way, if you mess with me, I will literally break your fucking nose. I don't play. And he was huge, too. He benched 600 pounds, but he was all fat. He was shaped like literally Jabba the Hutt with a beard <laughs> somehow. But he was just a big corn-fed old dude. And he would, like, come to the weight pile while we were all working out and try to, like, degrade us by just curling what we're just, like, getting ta- spotters for. He's just, like, curling. He's just this big dude. But he was a trip, man. He, he, he literally almost broke my nose one time. Um, he squeezed it so fucking hard that it bled, literally bled. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a, he was a scary dude. But anyways, what'd you do? Uh, I I got a sales case, um, at, at a, in a casino. <laughs> I, both prison terms I got. Once was ones were the juvenile ones, and the other was auto theft. Uh, and they gave you eighteen months, and you do, you know, half time or whatever it is. But and I just got out of there. They. They, and they give you a bus back, right? So, and then, but, um, so I was 86 out of every casino in the world, by the way. <laughs> no, of course. Uh, because, you know, I'd go in and break, break in the machine. I'd get in those games that had like a booth, like Star Wars or Tempest or something. And I would sit in there and I'd get my toolkit out and I'd pop the fucking machines out and take all the quarters. <laughs> you know what I mean? Shit. And I had pockets full of quarters. And not looking back, that seemed to be a theme for me. I'd like quarters. Vending <laughs> <laughs> machines, arcade games, yeah. whatever it was. Um, bring bring but, me back. But, like, I learned how to steal from my mom. So she would send us to the gift shops because we're kids. And we would steal fake gold and fake jewelry. And, and some of that Vegas jewelry looks good, right? The bra- gold bracelets. She would tell us what to get. And she would tell They're not going to watch you guys. You're kids. And we were literally kids, 10 years old. And, and so we'd go to the gift shops and we'd pillage all the jewelry we could get. And we'd get, we'd come up. There's 107 miles of casinos, you know. And then my mom would tell us how to sell it she would you know he, listen mom's drunk or dad's drunk you want to get back to california you're trying to get gas money and all you have is this bracelet you don't even know what it's worth but it even even 20 bucks would help it's probably worth a lot more we're just kids we don't yeah. really know about it yeah right and and man nine times out of ten they didn't even take the jewelry <laughs> they just give you 20 30 bucks you know and and we always sat outside the casino because kids could do that without loitering. And we would wait for them to come out with the little racks. We'd see them, and we'd hit them up. And they'd give us, you know, a couple of chips or whatever. And um, So, like, that was the hustle. And, and, and groceries. My mom would take us to the grocery store. And my sister was afraid to do it. She'd get all upset about it. But I would fill up 
the, the cart full. My mom would fill it up with the. She goes, "We're getting the good shit since it's free, right? We, <laughs> we're getting the good cottage cheese, not the fucking canned cottage cheese, whatever the fuck." Yeah. We get all the good packs of meat and everything, top top of shit, and she'd fill that thing up, and then I would push it out of the store. Just this little ten year old kid, nine year old kid, just walking out the store with it, um, and and we'd get it to the car, and and and. My uh, her, who, who at my dad at the time, yeah, he would hold on to the shopping cart while my mom drove across the parking lot, and we get to the end of it where they couldn't chase us, and we dump it in the car. Everyone would grab stuff and throw it in, and like that, I, that's how I got my mom's affection and 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 pride. Pride was, you know, you did it, son, you did it, you know, right, and right. I couldn't wait to do it again, right. and, and I'd seek that through all even my older homies in the joint. Homeboy, you handled that, Jay. That was man, you did that, dog. You know, and like I seek that because i didn't have any you know any i won't say parental connections but i that was the way i got attention and even like i could prove to my sister that i cared about her by getting rough with dudes that you know caused her grief or whatever it was and it in validation was, yeah validation and i would run the streets for a month at a time and i remember just not coming home unless i had just came up you know, and I'd buy everyone Burger King or whatever. You know, I'd show up with some badass shoes or yeah. whatever. Yeah, you know, hey, the streets are good. You know, hey, like, and I'd show up and, you know, boss hog everybody with a little gift or some bullshit, little chump ass shit. When I just was suffering for months, you know, I finally hit a lick where I could come home and see my family. I never came when I was dusted yeah, up no. and needing some food and shit, you know. Um, that pride. Yeah. That fucking pride will keep you out there. Yeah, that pride. Anyways, I, I uh, grabbed a... Um, a bucket of quarters out of a tourist's hand at the Vegas World Casino. I yanked it, and his uh, his arm, my arm, dot slipped through his camera uh, strap, and I yanked him so hard that it came, he landed on top of me. And then a bunch of people tried to tackle me, and we started wrestling and fighting, and I ended up getting away. But what they, what what happened is they said, "Oh, was it any of these guys?" They went right to their eighty sixth list, and the lady she said, "Oh, that's him right there." And uh, these these fucking guys press charges, and uh, I ended up getting arrested. I was sitting in McDonald's parking lot, right of all places, McDonald's just chilling, and uh, the undercovers or whatever they rolled up deep, and they took me, and I got sentenced to two years in state prison for strong arm robbery. But I didn't actually do the time. I'm sitting in the prison. And these, this drill instructor, literally, like, right out of G.I. Joe, all yoked yeah. up and shit, he comes to my cell, and he says, hey, man, there's this program. It's a boot camp for last chance offenders that just turned youth. And if you graduate this program, these charges will be dropped, and, uh, and you're going to come out, and it's 10 months out in the middle of the fucking desert, and you're going to learn unity, you're going to learn respect, you're going to learn physical training, you're going to learn endurance, and you're going to learn pride. And you're not going to have to go to prison. These dudes will kill you. And I was like, huh. this was out in Vegas, you know, before I hit the real yard. Right. And, uh, and, and so I said, okay, you know, and then I went out there. And I literally, that is when I learned that physically you can do a lot. You know, I, I marched and I, I excelled at it. I took, you know, I, I, I called the drills. I had a cold ass drill too. You know, right, left. I left, I clipped it, and we just marched, you know, and we passed this steel fucking log back and forth, a motivation log, we called yep. it. And I'd get perfect 300s, you know, 80 sit-ups in two minutes, uh, fucking, you know, 10 pull-ups. They'd drop you off every morning, three miles out on this up road, and they'd say, literally, breakfast is in 20 minutes. 
So you've got 20 minutes to run through. You want to fucking skip and play and walk? <laughs> You're not going to eat. And, and you know, <laughs> motherfuckers would run, run down that hill. It was downhill, but still, it was three miles I ran that every morning. And, um, and uh, that taught me a lot. But anyways... So I graduated that boot camp, and uh, that's right when NW came out with the fuck the police and all that shit. And I remember watching all the drill instructors' cars and that stuff being in there, playing on their CD player or whatever it was. And I was like, what is this shit? Because I'd never even, i never heard nothing like that. You know, it was intense. You know? <laughs> it was a crazy time. I was like, yeah, man, I'm getting a strap. I'm gonna get, I'm, I was pretty healthy, you know, from doing all my push-ups and everything. But I was, wasn't bulky or anything. I was just all cut up, you know. No tattoos or anything. And uh, anyways, I got out of that, and uh, my sister came. My whole family, while I was in there, moved to California. And my sister drove out and picked me up from downtown jail. And that day, I went my first day as an adult in the county jail because I found a dead body. I went behind the parking structure to take a pee, and I found a dead body, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm Mr. Citizen. I'm fresh out. I have no problem. And I... I I informed the uh, security guard and he called law enforcement and the cops came out and then they put me, wrapped my leg in the bumper and handcuffed me. And I was like, I didn't kill him. I swear to God, I didn't kill him. <laughs> and they're like, no, you have a stolen moped warrant from 1980 something. I was like, I, I just got out of jail. How could that be? I just got, and so I spent the night, that first night out, my sister had to get a hotel. I spent it in jail and I just remember her going, I was literally like, I just drove from fucking California and you're already back in jail. I was so upset. I was like, you fucking didn't learn shit, you know? We can't bring you here, you know? She was panicked. Um, but I guess they explained to her that I had a warrant. Anyways, they dismissed that and I came out to California and I moved to v Vista was where, where I first got. I hadn't even been to the beach or anything. And that's where I got introduced to the, the heavier hitters, you know, Strawberry Hill. I don't know if any of you guys ever heard of Strawberry Hill back, back in the day, but there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that know exactly what it is. It's a dark, crazy place where crazy shit happens. Just crazy shit. Is it in Vista? Yeah. Okay. And it's like some kind of farm now or something. But back in the day, it was, it was, motherfuckers got killed, jumped, tortured, whatever it was. Motherfuckers cooked dope, buried barrels out there. Wow. Uh, had, I mean, it, it was wild. And I met a lot of the bigger heads back in the day. It was, you know, and I don't know if I'll say anyone's names, but I'll just say Dennis and all these dudes. And these dudes were magicians. They they could they made dope, and they they could do it somehow. And they had barrels and bags of it, and fucking big gulp. They get slide you a big gulp cup, you know, and, and you just fucking you couldn't believe you were just doing doing all that. And um, you know, I started running around doing drugs, and uh, I did meth for the first time with my neighbor before Strawberry Hill. I just got to Vista, and they were throwing darts, and there was this. Behind our apartments, there was a small fence, and it was like gravel. It was like six feet from my window, back room, to the fence. And they would climb out of their windows, and they had a dartboard set up on the fence about four apartments down. And I saw chicks and tweakers, and I yeah. was like, oh, yeah. yeah. So I ended Looks up like introducing myself. Yeah, and, and, and for a while, we did lines and, and threw darts. You know, I, I wish I could go back in time and just, like, stay there. Like, hey, I'm just <laughs> doing a line and rubbing one out and shooting some darts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but you know, it turned, it got really bad, you know, but at, at the time, all I did was smoke and snort. I went from snorting to smoking. And by then I was already, I'd done it. I still smoked when I did my first term. I hadn't shot yet. Um, and 
the person that gave me my first shot is clean today and he's in these rooms and he's doing really well. But he gave me that first shot, you guys. And I thought I, I never felt anything like that. I, uh. I tried to, I literally tried to fight him. He knows who he is. He, <laughs> everybody knows him. And he was like, Hey, what the fuck? Calm down. You know, he was like, dude, just relax. And I was like, you're trying to kill. I didn't know what was happening to me. I right. never felt nothing that intense. And he gave me a big old whacker, you know? <laughs> and, um, and he finally wrestled me down. He's like, I'm going to fucking hurt you, kid. You better stop moving around. Listen to me. Just breathe and fucking relax. And I was like, I'm hot. Let me go. I'm overheating. Yeah, I'm dying. I'm, I'm going to have a heart attack. And he's like, just relax, dude. Relax. I'm gonna. And then I laid there for a minute. And he loosened his grip on me. And I'll never forget this because it was actually hilarious. <laughs> so he goes, I'm going to let you go, man. You better fucking be cool, man. I'm, I'm going to fucking hurt your ass. I can't have you doing this shit in here. And everybody had come into the room to see what the disturbance was. You know, we're in this fucking trailer park. I mean, a double <laughs> wide. <laughs> just freaked out, right? So he lets me go, and I'm just sitting there for a second. And he's like, do you feel that? And I was like, I did feel it, you know? And he's like, just, you're fucking high, aren't you? And I was like this. And then I noticed the chicks in the room. And I looked at him like, uh, you guys want to get high? And, and they were like, oh, hell no. This motherfucker can see through my, it was like x-ray vision. I was like, ah, I wanted to fuck anything that moved, dude. And I just, and they were like. They were just fucking laughing. They're like, oh, hell no. Keep this motherfucker away from me. Hell fucking no. I was like, oh, will you, uh, you want uh, what's your name? You know, I, just, I just wanted to fuck everything. And I was like, this is the greatest shit in the world. You know what I mean? I'm fucking, and, and, uh, and I learned how to shoot dope, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, that shit took me on some deep runs. But it was still fun then. We'd shoot dope, steal a car, you know, mob around, be- beat your ass if you're, like I was raised by homies that hadn't dope hadn't broke them yet, or or maybe they're still not. I don't know, but you know it was cool to like shoot dope and hang out at some chick's house. And if you were, you know, doing crimes and selling drugs and you weren't putting groceries in the house, we come over and 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 get you, homeboy. You're over the homegirl's house, taking over this motherfucker, but you ain't feeding the kids, you know, or or you put your hands on your old lady, man. We're taking your shit, you know, whatever it was. And that's like that's the kind of crew I rolled with, and there was. There was pride in it, you know, and it felt good. And I was, you know, had a place in the city. I literally had a place in the city. I knew people. I could go anywhere at 2 in the morning and tap on the door. I'd pass out at someone's house or they drug me so I could sleep. <laughs> you were on a sick one, man. I fucking get, what did you give me? Uh, where's my dope? Uh, oh, no, here, I saved it for you. You know, I'd be like, oh, okay. And they fucking literally drug me because I was going to go to fucking jail. I was just a bust, you know. And, like, I had a family, a network of friends and people. And I know most of those people still to this day and a lot of them are clean and all the rest of them are dead mm. like literally everyone's dead and even like you know they own sober livings chains of them now and and like they're doing well and they're just and then the rest of them are all dead you mm. know but like that that's what i did i shot dope and i went in and out of prison and uh i did that for a long time you know until um and i never even heard of recovery Ever. They had SAP in prison. It came in. Substance abuse program, right? And it was literally, if you signed up for SAP or you went to SAP, you're getting dealt with, oh boy. We don't, put, <laughs> we don't do it. But then we found out, like, we could get cigarettes and hit, score drugs through these. These are just addicts. In, and then it was mandatory. All, all white boys signed up for SAP, you know. <laughs> it was mandatory. Get in there and get a, get a plug. Get somewhere. <laughs> And so we'd go to these meetings. I'd hear this shit out of the side of my ear, you know, listening to this and that. And occasionally you'd write something and then they'd bring like a speaker in. And, you know, I was like, oh, that feels. But he still wasn't one of 
us in my mind. Mm -hmm. He was like, you know, just an, a drug addict that was having a bad time. He, he didn't have like, his life wasn't like mine. And, and, um, but I never like embraced any of it. You know, it was just a place to go and, and be and, and, and try to hustle something. Um, but then, um, I got out in 2004. I did like a five and a half year stretch and I, uh, I ended up getting a bunch of points. I went up to Sentinella. And until then, I'd always been, I went from, you know, level one, level two, and gotten a riot at Chucky's and uh, level three. And then I went to the four yard, level four points. And I almost prefer a level four yard. And I, I just did a few years there in Sentinella. And the canteen's all fenced in, and it's split tier program. We come out a little bit. They come out a little bit. Because, I mean, you did a lot of sell time, but, it, it was a different, like, you didn't have to worry about, like, the, the, the kid shit and getting into something over someone else's bullshit. Everybody knew how to act. Mm. And everybody treated you with respect, and you treated them with respect. And occasionally we got a good show. You know, Northern Mexicans, White Mexicans, fucking Southsiders against uh, the Black, whatever it was, you know. And, and occasionally we were in some shit. But everybody was tried and true. And it felt safer in a weird way, right. just being around those dudes. And like you know, I uh, I got a shoe term for citing inmates to stab or harbor their inmates, and it sounds vicious. But all I did was when the riot happened and we all got down on the ground, and they started zip tying us, I fucking jumped back up and I said round two, motherfuckers, and I started <laughs> kicking people in the fucking face. And somebody got stabbed after that, and they blamed that on me. I incited inmates to get back up and get down. And <laughs> yeah. somebody got harmed afterwards. So they literally gave me a fucking 18-month shoe and a DA referral, too, and which, I, which I beat. That's a sick-ass floor right there. Yeah, but which I beat. And, and uh, yeah. you know, that that particular time was rough on me, man. Um, we went to yard in a... It had to go down, and they they don't mix yards anymore. And I wonder if it's just because of this shit. But they used to mix the the shoe yards, and, they, and even in the holes, they would mix the yards, uh, blacks and Mexicans, whatever. But it it went off particularly rough, man. And I I caught some good. I got you know my my head got split, and uh, you know I I really had to fight with fear. Like there was fear that time. It was rough, and I'll never forget the last guy that came in because we have to let them fill up. Right, yard fills up. No one jumps till then. Everybody knows it. Their race, our race. And the last guy came in, and they shut that gate. And he looked me right in the eyes. This black guy, and he kicked his shoes off. And he goes, "Where are my people's at?" And just came right at me. And man, that that whole thing was a blur. And I I literally had to fight for for like I felt like I could have got killed that time. And when they brought us in, they they put us in these phone booths. We were all pepper sprayed, and I mean, really hurting. And I just. Walked in that building, man, and the whole entire building. I mean, we're talking 500 motherfuckers banging on the windows and doors with their cups, yelling out, that's right, Woodpile, you guys handled that shit. And, and just instantly my body, my, my wounds went away, my injuries, and I got this pride in, in fucking power. I felt, I felt like I'm fucking mad, like I could never, I can't explain it. And they put me in there in that phone booth, and I sat in there with pride, man, for fucking five hours, <laughs> fucking crying because I had fucking pepper spray all over me. I couldn't breathe, and my fucking boxes were all tore up, and it was freezing fucking cold, dude. And stuff like that is fucking traumatic. It is. And I brushed it off and sucked it up, and I turned it into something that made me strong, right? But, it, but the core of it is just terrifying. 
if you go back and go, God damn, I survived that. And and some dudes really lost. One dude, he got his fucking ear cut off. Another dude, they, kicked, they broke his fucking teeth out. What's his name? Uh, oh, oh, we're, we're, good, we're good on the name. Yeah, anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, but he's probably dead now. <laughs> Hold on. What, what kicked this one off? Was it something dumb? No, it, no, it was over. Yeah, it was something dumb. Ro- <laughs> roll call, which... Don't fuck with roll call. <laughs> it was roll call. Good night, Mike. Good night, Pete. All right. Good night, Mike. Jay. And you had to answer up, you know, dumb shit. And then I, right after roll call, you know what? I'm sick of you motherfuckers making all this fucking noise, you fucking cracker motherfuckers. It's fucking time to sleep. Who gives a fuck about this bullshit, man? Woo woo. And then and, the, and then it was dead quiet. And then uh, and one of those dudes, hey, 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 Pete, can't be doing, hey, homie. Yeah. Quiet that man, and then it turned into this big fucking thing, you know. Where I mean, I don't. Someone lit their mattress on fire and boarded up and shot kites to everyone. It's on, you know, whatever. <laughs> and uh, man, you know, I I knew it for days that it was going to go down when when we could go to the yard as soon as we could go because they fucking put fire hoses everywhere and I watched all this unfold and I knew at some point we were going to go to the yard. Period. And um, man, it was just having that in my stomach, knowing it was coming and. And we would get kites, and, and I would always do this to myself. I'd look at it, and I'd just go, and say for my eyes only, I'd look at it, and I'd go, bro, what'd you do? And he'd be like, what, dude? What? Fuck, bro, what did you do? And he'd be like, what? <laughs> and I'd say, and I would say, I'm just kidding. He's like, fuck, dude, because <laughs> you, you know how many kites I've gotten where you got to fucking go, hey, guess what we just found out about your silly? But, like, I used to always play games like that. But, man, it was just really... <laughs> Scare the fucking... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. Dude, I've been in a fucking, literally, a fight to the death over the air vent. This motherfucker <laughs> put the cardboard slat and pointed it up his way and fucking cut the vent in half and put all the air up his way. I was like, oh, i down no. here sweating like a fucking pig, ironwood and shit. It's hot as fuck. I was like, why is it so hot in here? I looked, and I was like, oh, he took the vent and took all the air. I fucking leaped up and yanked him off the bed. I flew into a rage. I felt like somebody just robbed my fucking... <laughs> Stole my fucking 10 years of hard work. But, yeah. Anyways, uh, where was I now? Oh, yeah. Finish him. Finish him. So, yeah, I um, I lived through that. And, uh, you know, I got out in 2004. And I met Jezreel, which is my wife. For she was I was with her for about, I want to say, nine or ten years. But we had, I had seven years clean. She had... Nine more months than me. But we had a brief where we did good and then we relapsed and she went to her sponsors and I went to my homeboy Jai's house. And we ended up, I went to Casa and got kicked out but got back with her and stayed clean for five and a half, seven after that. But anyways, I got out of jail and I had my, you know, my prison box or whatever. And she's like, she was there to meet a sponsee at the train station there, bus stop down uh, in oh, oh, wherever they drop you. I think it was Otai or something. They dropped Irish Avenue. Whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she was like, you just get out of jail? And I was like, well, why? Because I got fucking tattoos and fucking all. She's like, no, you got this, your box is receiving a release. And you got, ta- I mean, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I did get out. But I said, well, let's start over. Uh, how you doing? Yeah, I just got out. <laughs> I ended up talking with her like for fucking three and a half hours. Her sponsor never showed. And she's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I got a little bit of cash. You know, I'm probably going to turn two into four, you know. And she's like, well, don't, wouldn't you like to stay clean and everything? And I said, I've never really even tried, you know. And she's like, 
well, come stay with me and go to a meeting in the morning and, and meet some dudes and, and we'll try because I got nine months, you know, and I, I really, I like you and I, I'd hate to see you like just go back out and you could die or anything. And she was like so sweet and convincing and she had a Raiders tattoo, right? And I was like, I'm getting me a Raiders fan. <laughs> and then I'm going to tell her that I was Bolts up. Yeah, I lost a million soups on the Chargers and still rolling. <laughs> um, but anyways, I, uh, so she calls her sponsor and she's like, Hey, <laughs> I met this dude at the train station. I want to, he wants to, I'm going to let him stay tonight. And he wants to go to a meeting in the morning. And she's like, no, hell no. What? She's like, no, no, it's not like that. He's, we've been talking for hours. He just got out of jail. He doesn't have anywhere to go and he doesn't want to get high. He doesn't want to drink. He doesn't, he just doesn't, we can introduce him to like some guys in the program in the morning and he could, he's got a shot. And she's like, well, okay, he can't stay with you, but he can, he can stay here. Let me talk to him first. And so she, this was so funny because she gives me the phone and I'm all, hey. And she's like, give me the phone back. I give back and she's like, what? No, he's not black. <laughs> I was like, hey. He's like, oh, is he black? I was like, no, he's not black. And, and, and she's like, give me the phone back. She's like, dude, you can come to my house tonight and talk with me. I want to see you in person. If I, if I think you can stay, I'll let you stay tonight, but you're going to a meeting in the morning and you're going to introduce yourself to some dudes and you're going to try to stick. And I said, okay. So I spent that night with her sponsor, went to a meeting in the morning and then spent the next night with Jez and then the next night with her sponsor. And then I stayed with Jez again and we stayed together. We were together just like that. And I stayed clean for, I think we had almost two and a half years or something. And I, I ended up first off, where I'm from, prison, we don't smoke crack, bro. We're, crack is whack, right? Mm -hmm. I've done any drugs. I'll fucking walk seven miles for a cotton, but I'm going to smoke no crack, right? <laughs> bro, if you've never smoked crack, don't. Anyone out there listening, don't be curious. I'm going to tell you what, man. I fucking, first off, I thought I was getting speed, and I ended up getting some crack, and the guy goes, yeah. I said, what is this? He's like, it's it's a it's a dub or some shit. And I said, this ain't fucking, he's like, no, it's crack. We'll smoke. So I was like, I don't even know how to smoke it. He's like, no, well, we'll get a can. So, and the lady's like, you ain't smoking that shit in here, you guys. So she sent us down to the laundromat. I'm in there with like four thugs that want to hit this shit, right? And I'm like, I go first because I fucking bought the shit. And he's like, hey, just take it easy. He puts all this ashes on a can. We're all hot boxing cigarettes, right? Dude, crack is incredible. I wouldn't, I'm surprised that for some reason I never touched it again. I'm just like fucking blow. But I took this big old hit and. I froze like, and at all these fucking, the only thing that worked was my arm. Cause they kept reaching for the can and I just go like, this. I couldn't move. The only thing I could move was my arm. I couldn't even talk. I could go. Uh, uh, and it, like, as soon as I could fucking talk, the first words out of my mouth was, I didn't get a hit. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, hell no. Fool. I was sweating and shit. While the <laughs> Fuck dude. I never fucked with that shit, man. Thank God. But, but got your um, bell rung. Yeah. But, um, so what happened was uh, I thought Jazz was like talking to this fool that we've been I've been to prison with because he he was doing construction on the restaurant that she worked at and they were always like and I just got this wild hair up my ass to go spy on him and they were talking and I was across the street right and I was just like uh huh so I made this big old scene about it right and rolled up on him hey I'll fucking deal with you homie whoop and, and this was at her restaurant you know in Oceanside where she works they were getting remodeled they were putting flagstone stuff in the walkway or whatever. And I went off on him and he's like, bro, it ain't even like that. And all that. And she was like, you're doing this at my work and you got all mad and shit. And she came home that night 
with a fucking bottle. She was an alcoholic. She wasn't really a drug addict. And she's like, fucking came in pounding that fucking thing, man. And we, anyways, we relapsed. And um, we ended up <laughs> running around for days on, on drinking and alcohol. And um, we smoked crack at that. The second time I ever smoked it in a hotel room and it was so freaked us out so bad that I don't know how we even got it, but we did. And she called her sponsor. I can't do this. Ah, and I called my homeboy Jai and I, he came and picked me up and she went and got clean. And I went and got into Casa, which I got kicked out of there, but that's, we had the little brief loot. Otherwise we would have had, you know, 10 years or something like that. Mm. So, and this is the most tragic part of my entire story, my whole entire life. So I was with Jez we did everything together. Meetings. I got my first job, tow truck driver. Uh, first fucking everything. First, I had. My, I remember so proud. I got my uniform, my tow company uniform. It had my name on it. And I was just like, babe, this is real. Like, you know, I got, look at this, my name. I'd never had a fucking job until I was 32 years old. And um, we would go to the desert, everything. I started, like, we just had a great, great life, you know. And um, I ended up quitting the tow truck job and getting a job at Lasardi Construction. I went and got my hazmat license and I was hauling diesel fuel and gas and making great money. About, I'd say about three years into after our relapse, one day she said her back hurts and she called me at work and she was like in pain. I don't, I woke up this morning and my back's hurting so bad. I, I'm going to go to the doctors. I can barely even move. Right. So she went to doctors and they, they did a blood test on her and they said she had like a bunch of weird, steroids in her body was producing some kind of steroids anyways she ended up within five years she was almost paralyzed and we did we ran jogged every morning we surfed after work every day we went to the ocean and boogie boarded and she looked so cute like a little seal with her little boogie board and she was gorgeous you know and um i just loved her so much and i i never like, I, I just took care of her. I put cream on her every night and patches, her lidocaine patches until her back was raw and doctor trip after doctor trip and just, we couldn't figure out what was wrong with her and it just got worse. And then, you know, she couldn't even leave the house in the end or sex. She could barely have sex and she would try, but it would just hurt her so bad. And so like, you know, my personality, bro, I'm flirtatious in a way and I know all everybody and I'm just like, got these big monster trucks and fucking racing stuff and doing cool shit and these chicks at the meetings, like, you know, I was always, I would always flirt with them and stuff, but it would never go anywhere because, you know, I had my babe and stuff. But I was just particularly lonely and sad, and I felt like I was losing my life because she was getting worse and worse and worse. And I ended up, long story short, now, I ended up cheating on her. Um, and I got caught. And it was devastating. And this is, this is like, you guys, this is the worst. I Man, I fucking played this out so many times, and suffered over it what ended up happening was she went to stay with her sponsor she was very upset and she was at her sponsors about a week and a half two weeks um and she calls me and she's like hey because every time i tried to go over there her sponsor i hate i hated her, her sponsor i was like that's my fucking we we got married First off, I bought her like a brand new car, a charger, a six, a fucking V8, badass one with Navi and everything, which this bitch stole it when Jez died, but it, I didn't care. So, um, but we had to get divorced because I made too much money for her to get Medicare. 
and her medical bills were killing us. And that's why I was selling weed too. I started selling weed. Like I told myself to make extra money for the doctor. So she calls me after about two weeks at her sponsor's house and she calls me over there and she comes out in the front and she just grabs me and holds me so tight. And she was crying and she's like, I love you with all of my heart. I, I love you so much. And I know, I know you're sorry and I know you love me. And I said, I'll never do that again. I didn't mean, I was just so lonely, you know, babe, I, I, I can't do anything with you. She's like, listen, let me just talk. And she said, I, um, I can't be with you. Can't, can't get back with you. And not because you cheated. I mean, that hurt me and stuff, but I understand it. But I have nothing. To, I can't have a lot. You're so full of energy and you're so so social and just going everywhere. And it's not fair to stay with you. I'm sick and I don't know how long I'm going to even be able to move, you know. And I begged her. I said, please, just give me another chance. You know, let me, let me do something. I'll t- you know, I'll stay with you all day. She's like, I just can't, we can't be together. It's not fair to you or to me. And I'll always be wondering, like, if you're with somebody and I can't go outside, I can't do anything. And um, two, I left her, I left that conversation and I, I couldn't drive. I, I had I stopped in the middle of the street and my car just coasted, my truck coasted in the curb and I was sobbing so fucking hard. Something died in me that day. I knew she was serious. I knew she wasn't going to be with me and I knew that we couldn't fix it. And I fucking, two incredible things happened that night, you guys. One is I relapsed that night and the other is that she killed herself. Mm. And I didn't even know it. I was out there using, running the streets, getting high. She fucking was dead. And I'm, I made that my fault, you guys. I mm. fucking I fucking took that inside and, and made that entirely my fault. And, uh, dude, you want to talk about a fucking a fall from grace? I had two of everything, man. I had everything. I didn't even know that she died. And I was out there running around smoking dope with some fucking bitch. And I found out the hardest way. I was at a gas station, and my homeboy Jai rolls up. Where the fuck have you been? Where's your phone? You don't answer your phone. Nothing. What's, I thought he was talking about the relapse, you know. Yeah. And, and and I was like, ah. And then he looked at me and he just stopped in his tracks. He goes, "Bro, you don't know, do you? You don't even know." I said, "What? No, what?" And I was scared all of a sudden. He goes, "Jezreel's dead. She fucking killed herself." And mm. fuck, dude, he had his kids with him. I fucking shoved him so hard with terror and just. Don't say that. And I shoved him. He just flew off his feet. He's a big boy, man. Landed on his back. And his feet, I'll never forget, his feet slid up over his head. Just so fucking fucked up. And he jumped up. He said, really? In front of my kids? And I said, I'm fucking sorry, man. He just grabbed me and helped me. And I just screamed so fucking loud. I couldn't even stand up, man. I loved her with all of my fucking soul, man. And uh, it took me less than a year to be out of my place I have nowhere to go, no fucking money. I sold all my shit. People, all tweakers were stealing all my shit. I had garages with big tires and shocks and motor, quads, and I was selling everything and just trying to stay high. And uh, I got drunk, real drunk one night, and I'd been doing meth. I hadn't done no heroin yet, you know. And I did a whole, I had a whole thing with heroin where I kicked it in the desert before I got with Jazz and stuff. But that night, one particular night, I, uh, 
I took uh, all of our birthday cards, our one year card, and all of, you know, people write, sign your cards and everything. I took all of our pictures. I took my shirt off and I drove to the Moose Lodge in Oceanside where we got sober and clean. And uh, I taped all those pictures all over my body and fucking shot up a big old fucking to go out of heroin. And and the thing is, is what saved me is I, mu- I, I didn't even, it went right in my muscles. And somebody called the police and saw me over there crying and acting a fool. And they came and they fucking saved me, man. And I was in the hospital for four fucking days. Uh, they had this big pump on my leg that was squeezing my blood through my body so it didn't clot up. And they, they, they literally saved my life. And I just remember waking up and thinking, damn, what happened? And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. <gasps> Jez is dead. Oh, my God. I'm still alive. Oh, my God. And I just freaked the fuck out. And they fucking put me back out on something. I was, like, struggling at the cables. And I just. And eventually I had to leave the hospital. And um, I went on the sickest run. I, the first thing I did is I went to Kohl's for some weird reason. Kohl's. I walked in there and I filled a shopping cart up with every fucking wireless speaker. Every fucking Thing that looked valuable. I mean, to the top. I put 10 pairs of Adidas shoes, everything. And I fucking had my little pistol in my waistband and I fucking lip was trembling and I walked right the fuck out. Fucking say something. I'm killing every motherfucker. All right. And nobody chased me. <laughs> I actually didn't even get scared until I almost get, was to my car. I was like, I'm going to get away with this. And I was like, the dope thing took over. Oh my God, I'm going to come up right now. And I... I fucking did exactly what my mom did. I grabbed that shopping cart, got in my truck, put my hand out the window, and drove across the parking lot with that fucking cart. And then I got to the corner, went around the side street, and then emptied it all out into my truck. That was the first of many unbelievable, self-destructive, crazy things I did to to punish myself. And I ended up uh, literally homeless and running around, no car, nothing. And... uh I got busted for a bunch of possessions, and they were still felonies back then. So I'd get, because I had money when it first happened. I bail, I bailed out a few times, and I had this monster Ford on 40, sick, 350 Super Duty. Uh, everybody knows that truck in Oceanside. Um, and I put it up for collateral over a punk-ass bail, and I didn't show up for court, and they took it. They took it, motherfucker. And then get, get this, I got arrested two months later, and those charges were reduced to misdemeanors because of some new law, Prop 38 oh or something, God. where they reduced the amount of a, a possession to a fucking misdemeanor <laughs> under a certain amount. That was like fuck. 30. I, I was like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, get me, <laughs> motherfuckers. And, um, dude, I got really violent and really, really dark. Like, um, I started hearing voices. I snapped, literally mentally snapped. I'd wake up every morning. Good morning, piece of shit. Who can we hurt today? <laughs> you know? Right. And I started like literally talking to myself and hearing voices. And uh, I thought I heard dogs coming to get me. Every time I'd get high, I'd hear them running. I'd hear, and I fucking started tying a leather belt around my arm and carrying a screwdriver in this hand everywhere. I'd put my one sleeve inside my flannel and throw it over my shoulder. And I'd carry that screwdriver. And I was tense and waiting to be attacked for days and days and days and days walking around getting high and I couldn't even get high. I couldn't even fucking rub one out. Like that's how parent. I just didn't deserve anything. I was broken inside and I thought I fucking killed her. I, she killed herself because of me. Mm. And, uh, I would, uh, 
I ended up downtown because that's the only place you could act like that and not get rushed. Like, <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah, I was like, right. just when I thought I was crazy, this here's some motherfucker dressed up like a mailbox screaming for an ambulance. <laughs> ah, you know, wow, okay, I can hang out here. Nobody's going to know. I put a towel over my head and talk to myself. And uh, there was this one time where I was really embarrassed about what I was doing and, like, talking to myself. I couldn't believe it. I was on the trolley. And it was just quiet. You know how trains get. Mm. It was quiet. And I was hearing voices. And they kept fucking t- telling me, out, yeah, we're going to get you, punk ass, right when you get off the train, motherfucker. See that bike guy over there? Look how he's holding his hand. He's with us. He's going to fucking stick your little bitch ass. And you deserve it. And I kept just trying to be quiet. Cause I was, and then finally, I just blurted out, listen, you say one more word and I'll kill the motherfucker. And you know I'll do it. That makes you the killer. And the fucking whole train looked at me and just got up and moved the fuck away from me. And I just looked at everybody and I was like, oh my God, I put my head down and I and, yeah. and I literally started crying because like I was crazy. And I was like, I can't believe I'm fucking crazy. Like literally crazy. I'd start wearing a towel over my head because I didn't want people to see me talking to myself. And I there was no coming back. I two in the morning, I'd hit, I'd run and climb up on a stoplight pole and and be yelling, call the police. Call the police. I thought the dogs were coming for me. And I walked through the bush and just fucking tried. Anything that moved, I'm fucking ready to kill it and get killed. Like I had, I snapped mentally. And that went on uh, until my last day on the street. It was really bad. I ended up getting busted. Uh, I did 45 days in jail. And I was about to get out and they told me, oh yeah, you're, you got a year suspended sentence from that you never went to CASA for. I was like, I've been in jail 60 times since then. How yeah. the fuck does that even work? They said, well, you, it's your annual review. <laughs> they <laughs> realized you. at the end of the year that you never showed up or whatever. And now you got to do that year. And I was like, no, hell no. Give me a, give me a program or something, Prop 39 or something. And, and, and I had no idea about drug court. And they said, well, we can try to get you drug court. And I said, well, what, what's that? And he was like, well, you go and they get you, you have to get a job and all this shit. And I said, oh, yeah, that's me. I'm in. I'll do it. Right. You know? And um, so the, they came and interviewed me, and then they came back and said, we're, we're, they don't want to let you in just because of uh, your prior stuff and you're, you have a strong arm robbery, and that's considered a violent crime. And it just, and I was like, so what? This program's for fucking weekend warriors. It's uh, it's not for the real addicts who need help. And it turns out Judy Johnson runs that program, and I know her from the streets. We used to get her her old man was GTA Tony, and they were very popular. And she's she runs the program now. Somehow a little bird told me that she was running the place, and I said, "Are you kidding me?" And she came to see me in there, and she fucking said, "Hey, are you gonna?" And I said, dude, this is what happened to me. My fucking wife just died. I said, it was been years. I was out there for four years telling people she just died. I was literally fucking fried. God damn, that's a long time to be out there. Yeah. Four years. Four years homeless, bro. And, wow. and we're talking about a fucking a convict who wears his dickies a certain way and fucking yeah. has pride in how he stands and how he talks and people get, I mean, all that. I, I was literally had a towel on my head laying on the fucking curve downtown San Diego Hitting the fucking pipe, broad daylight. Do right. something, motherfuckers. Yeah. And I would take my, I had a, you know, I got a bicycle. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you haven't really, you're not really an addict unless you've ridden a bicycle somewhere because you had to. Yeah, that's the only way you could get there. Yeah. But I would, uh, on that big hill downtown, I would 
ride down it, and then right at the intersection, I would close my eyes and go through it and screaming, fuck you, motherfucker. And cars would almost kill me. And I never got hit. I hear them skid and everything, and I'd come out of the other side and I'd go, woo, like, 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 like the fucking Jim, I saw Jim, saw right. Doug, and I'd go, that's right, motherfuckers, you can't kill me because I'm born to suffer. Wow. I can't die. And uh, I did a lot of other crazy shit. I walked into a garage in Pasoli, you know, and straight fucking garage full of gang members. And I said, I need a quarter piece. <laughs> and I got it in my hand, put it in my pocket, and I threw $3 bills on the floor. And I said, fuck you motherfuckers, and just started bombing. And I got out of there. I made it. I got lumped up. <laughs> I got fucked, lumped the fuck up. But luckily, you know, these these gang members, they're not prison built. There's a couple of them, but they're all just skinny youngsters, you know. Most of them just came in right, too. I was like, oh, man, I can take these dudes. <laughs> and then a little group of thugs came in right as I was leaving. I was like, oh, fuck. Here we go. So punch them. But I said, fuck it. Let's do this. I'd rather be dead. And I got out into the yard, and they were like, we're going to kill you, motherfucker. My homie boxer, he's, I made amends to him anyways. I said, dude, I, I, I was in a bad place, man. I wanted to die. And he's like, man, the homies were hunting you, dog. And I, I told him, I said, man, because I'd known him through, all through prison. He, he, was the, he calls all the shots from them. And I, phew, I didn't get killed then. And I was like, I told you, motherfuckers, I'm bulletproof because I am here to suffer. I can live through anything. I'll walk through a fire and I'll get burned, but I won't die. Bet. And like literally I had that mentality. I was nuts. I heard, I was hearing voices and I've never been so broken, you guys. Mm. Anyways, I, I, even when I got clean, I went into jail and waited. F and so Judy got me in. She got the judge to take a chance on me. And uh, I stayed in there, I think, 80 days waiting for a bed to, to get into drug court. And during that 80 days, I heard voices for about 45 of them. Fuck. Wow. In, clean, in my bed. And I would hear it, and they would say, uh, they were saying the weirdest shit, like, um, <clears throat> you think you're going to drug court? Fuck no. <laughs> you're getting life in prison. We're putting together a case on you right now. You think we've been following you and playing with you and fucking watching you run like a little bitch, screaming for the police on a fucking street pole for fucking scary ass motherfucker for nothing no we've been doing that because we've been building and building and we're a network of people that put people like you in prison forever you're a waste you're a drug addict you ain't worth shit you killed your wife and you're gonna fucking pay any second now you're gonna come and rebook you on some shit that you know what it is should i say it everyone and i swear to god the whole room it, that, uh, it, laughing uh, yeah just tell him oh he knows what it is we'll save it for the end and I was like where are all these people talking to me from and I'd lay in my bed just fucking just trying to shut them up I'd whistle I'd hum anything to shut these fucking things off and then one day they just stopped voices just stopped man and uh, I was terrified that they were going to come back right. you know mm. and I uh, kept to myself and um uh, I did my push-ups and worked out and ate every fucking thing I could eat because I didn't want to be What day sexy. was that? Do you remember when they just stopped? Uh, let's see. My clean date is 3-23, March, March 3rd, or March 23rd. And it was about 20 days before that because right about... 40 days, no, so 40 days before that. Right. So I want to say, what's before March? April? February. February, yeah, April, March, April. <laughs> yeah. Back. Dyslexic, too. Yeah. So I was like, 
Uh, Late February. So February, 22nd. around February 20-something, 22nd or 28th. Oh. And they literally just stopped, man. And I, I <laughs> that's the greatest gift I've gotten mm. of all this shit is that I don't hear those voices no more. I was literally traumatized and snapped. And I literally think my state raised and, and that prison mentality kept me alive and made me strong enough to like pull out of that. Cause there's people that have been off drugs for years and they're still on the corner talking to himself. Still smoked. Yeah. Red 33, agent orange. I mean, they're yeah. fucking, and that's literally, that was that dude. Right. Hold on though. So your clean dates in March, but you had already been doing, you did, a, you said about 80 days before you got to drug court. Yeah. Cause I counted, I counted my, they, they got some shit in the joint in the, in there. Oh, okay. And, uh, of course they and yeah, I still know everybody and they offered me some and um I I did a little bit of it. Okay. And it was you know, it was like a foil hit or something. And it wasn't any good and uh and I haven't touched anything since that day. So that was that was the third. March twenty third. I was already accepted to drug court when I did that shit. So I was just waiting to get there and we we scored somebody hit a visit or something. I can't remember. But I got some of it. And and I did it, and right. we stayed up all night doing push-ups and dumb shit, and laying in our racks, fucking, cool, yeah. you know. But um, and that was the the, the March, and uh, that was the last time I used. And, and um, I got into drug court, and uh, you know, they said you got to get a driver's license, and you got to have an ID, and you got to get employment, and I was just like, and I remember thinking. Towards the end, I hooked up this guy. He was going to drug court with me. He was waiting too, and he had like he was going to church or whatever. He'd go to all the church things, and he'd go to those me- the meetings when they came to the tank, you know. And uh, and I never went out to him, you know. Um, but he, we ended up getting trustees, or last like thirty something days, Sick. waiting to go to drug court. And while we were cleaning the windows, we were window guys, so we just cl- walked around the jail freely and cleaning windows. And we talked a lot. And he was like, man, I can't wait to start my new life over and try again. And he had kind of inspired me, you know. And I was like, you know what? Man, I, I did this before. It was all coming back to me. I was clean. I was I, I was going to meetings. And I knew all the. And this was, I wasn't in, you know, any drug. Pro- it was, I was more, because she was an alcoholic. So I kind of learned everything from the alcoholics. Yeah. And they read the book. And they, you know, were very arrogant people and just. And and hey was like uh, you know pardon me but it was a whole different trip because right. they were like, yeah they were, they were looking around all the time and shit I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like well these are my people it'd be like that <laughs> yeah one noise the whole room would look for five minutes <laughs> I was like oh yeah um, but uh, I had no idea that you know uh, I was gonna I just wanted to do it I, I, I by the time I got there I thought I'm gonna do whatever they tell me man I can I forgot I had a life before this. And um, I went there, and my first job, uh, first off, it took me forever to get my fucking driver's license. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I just for some reason, I, and they they've said, well, you know, you you got to do community service if you don't get it in a certain time. You better get down there. And I'd go down there, and I just couldn't put it together. And I finally got that. And um, my first job was uh, with Diamond. You know, Diamond is the porta potties. Mm-hmm. And I got hired there, and I was so gr- I was like, "Man, they took a chance on me." It's cleaning porta potties, right? <laughs> yeah. I have no value. I mean, I've never, I, you know, I was hauling diesel fuel and gas in a previous life, and yeah, you know, I had a. But I was just like, 
man, they took a chance on me, you know, fucking cleaning porta potties. I was so grateful. And uh, I took the train to work every day and did everything drug court asked of me. And um, I applied for the railroad. I was on the train one day and I was talking to one of those security guards that ride the train. And he was like, yeah, we're hiring security guards. And I was like, really? I should apply. And I ended up, I ended up applying with the North County Transit District, but I only got the janitor's job. They, they weren't going to let me on a train <laughs> for, for whatever reason. I just couldn't do it. Um, which was odd because, oh, they didn't have any positions. But my last conviction was so long ago, they only go back seven years. And when, when, you, uh, when they reduced all of those possessions to misdemeanors, it, Locked up. Yeah, yeah it didn't. Ha- I, no, there was no criteria that dis- that kept me from working on the train as a security or attendant, ticket taker. You don't have powers of arrest. They have separate guards that do that. You know, you have, you take the ticket and check tickets, but you're security, whatever. So um, I started doing that. And, uh, man, I was a good worker. I, you know, I was really good. And uh, I would... I just took on a lots of responsibility and there was guys quitting or not showing up and I would take the, do stuff that they had to do and handle it. And I developed a rapport with the two big bosses all the time. I would have direct lines with them. Hey, I'm over here. Somebody kicked in the trash machine uh, thing. The glasses broke. I'm, I taped it up so that nobody can use it and cut their hands on it, but we need to get someone out here to fix it. And, uh, okay, well, uh, could you call maintenance for us and get, Tell them where, and I started doing all this stuff. And then just one day out of the blue, they said, hey, our uh, supervisor is leaving. He's going to Los Angeles. Do you want the position? And I was like, well, will I get a raise? And they said, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, damn, man, well, what, what's it entail? You know? And they said, well, basically... What you're doing now, you're you're gonna oversee people who do that. You're going to work with law enforcement when somebody dies in the bathroom or gets in a fight there. If somebody gets hit by a train, you're gonna go there and you'll take the reports. If somebody vandalizes the buildings, you're gonna work with law enforcement, take reports, take pictures. Uh, if somebody doesn't attacks our workers, you're gonna be there with them and file reports. If the comms buildings, you're responsible for arming the alarms on the comms buildings all the comms buildings when the workers leave and you have to lock certain gates that so nobody can drive in the bus lanes at night and all these all these train stations all over San Diego all the way downtown to Santa Fe station damn that's crazy yeah and they and I was like damn I can do that you know um and uh so I I they said okay you're hired you know and uh, I went and told everyone at drug court and all the counselors and everyone you guys, I just got a fucking, uh, 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 I'm a supervisor now. Right. And uh, then I found out my company vehicle was the fucking cop car. A straight up sheriff symbol on the door, full lights, spotlights, <laughs> EX, <laughs> EX plates, because it's literally it's a exactly railroad right. authority sheriff's vehicle. And it had the souped up motor and everything. Oh, yeah. It was a nice Ford Explorer, the full on police car, full on. And uh, they almost didn't let me work there, drug court and the judge and the pro officer. When they found out that that was my car, <laughs> they fucking said, "No, you can't. You cannot Absolutely drive." Absolutely not. You're on fucking pro- parole. You can't, probation, and you can't do it. And I said, "Dude, this is a career change for me. I'm not doing anything. I'm going to work." And I 
It's a life change. It's yeah, like life you're doing, yeah, it's like you're doing the complete opposite of what you were yeah, doing before. And and because I was doing so well in drug court, I had I you know I had a couple of close calls, but like I said, I knew Judy from back then day, and I got a couple of breaks here. I got I was um, I used to date uh, Sadie West. She's a porn star, Romy's, and she was in drug court with us. Sick and, ass fool. And we we uh we actually hung out and got caught. You know, <laughs> and and uh, and. Judy put her on a man band and I, she said, I can't even do anything to you or everyone's going to find out. So just straighten your shit up, you know? And, um, so I got a couple of breaks, but I was doing really well and they all got together and they called me to the judge's chambers in, you know, and, uh, my parole officer and the judge and Judy, they said, here's what we've worked out for you. You need to call us or any law enforcement agency if you can't get a hold of us and tell them when you're in the car and you need to call them and tell them when you're out of it. If you mess that up one time, you're, you, we'll take it. You can't work. We'll get, you, you won't be allowed to have this job. And I said, thank you guys. Fucking thank you so much. Because it was like life-changing for me to have that. You know, I never had. And, uh, and I did that for almost a whole year. And I... Uh, I drive all over the city doing crazy <laughs> shit, you know, because, you know, I'm just still a human being, you know, I'd roll up on the homies at, with the spotlight. Hey, everyone, they'd be like, oh my God, you're going to, where'd you steal that? Get out of here with that. Like, don't, put, don't drive that up. Man, where, where'd you get that? And I'd be like, no, it's my job, bro. I'm clean. Uh-oh. You know, they, oh. they didn't, yeah, wow. Huh. You know, but. You still got to go, bro. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and eventually everybody, even the cops, you know, like I got a report and, and some of them, you know, I didn't tell them anything, but. Some of them, you know, they said, you know, you have an evil twin running around here. I've arrested him a bunch of times. There's no way it could be me. I'm in a fucking great position at you know, taking a police report. Someone ro- drove through the fucking fence at a train station. And they like, man, you got a brother? No. Wow, there's an evil twin of yours running. I've arrested him many times. You know? And I said, yeah, everyone's got one. You know, but it was literally, he was talking to me. But he looked, he was like, I can't, there's no way it could be me, right? right. Because I'm, look at where I'm doing. And uh, I really love that job, you know. Um, and I bring that up in a, because a lot of people, like especially me when I got out, I, I had no hope of getting any job. I was going to be a fucking landscaper working at 7-Eleven uh, or some kind of truck delivery driver forever because I'm a felon and, you know, we're limited to what we can achieve. Those are the basically. cards. And there's a saying it says, I like it says, I, w- I probably made it up, but I don't know, but it's still <laughs> cool. But it says... Yeah. My past does not exclude me from living a life others get to live. And it doesn't. But your disease in your head tells you it absolutely does. And then why try? I'm mm. not going to pursue any of this. It's not going to work for me anyways. And now you're, you're, you're seeing things through, you're making decisions through that filter. Your disease has many filters mm-hmm. and many ways to influence you. And that's one of the major ways it stops you from trying anything you've never done before. Yeah, no good. Nobody's going to want me. Yeah, it, it's not even them. Who would hire me? Yeah. Or, or it says other shit like, I can't do no office job. Fuck that. I can't be in a fucking, I'm not going to be in a box again. And blah, blah, blah. But one opportunity leads to another. You might be in an office guy for four days and meet someone on the job and they move you up to here and now you're going door. I mean, who knows? But one possibility opens another. You have to take that first step and then look for something better constantly. Yeah. And like, um, 
so I did that, and I was, and during this time, I met, I met my wife, Marie. And uh, I, w- I went to uh, one of those dances, you know, the recovery dances. Oh, yeah, good and times. I showed up with this 20-year-old chick, you know, that because uh, I was secretarying the meetings out in Encinitas. And I showed up there. Seven-step the, house? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did that eight-step house. I did that, secretary that for oh, almost two years. Whoo! Did you live there? No. That's I did. the lick, that, boy. But, but, yeah, but my boy used to live there, and he man, that guy had like nine girlfriends, and he's the lick. He didn't even talk. He was just. <laughs> it's his house right off Locadia, is right by Elise's mom's house. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. and we're yeah. talking, we're talking Encinitas, Encinitas player proper. <laughs> I used to live around girls. the corner from that motherfucker. Yeah. It, off a ten day run, they look like supermodels. You're like, come on, wow, come are on, you sure, you're, yeah. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so. Um, but I saw, I met Marie there that night, and um, I said something to her. I said hi, and she said hi back, and um, that was it, right? I didn't say anything else. And then I was just browsing through Facebook one time, and I, to be honest, <laughs> I don't know if I recognized that it was her from the dance, but it was fate, right? Because I stopped at her profile picture, and just for some fucking weird reason, I hit her up. I said... Hey, I saw your picture, and you're so pretty. I had to friend request you. How are you doing? And for some reason, she never does this. She answered my friend request, and we started chatting. And she, I don't know if she recognized me immediately or not, but she recognized me from the dance. She's like, hey, remember you said hello? But it was meant to be. Uh, anyways, we had our, I had my own pad at this time. I was doing really good. I lived in Carlsbad, right? The the bachelor pad, you guys. And and thank God she came into my life. She saved me. Not that I was going to relapse, but I was not living. The, I was, you know, dating. I, I didn't even have my sheets on my bed. I just had a blanket, and I'd switch it out. Right. Yep. One blanket over the top of my mattress with some homemade pillows, and we'd do the thing, and I'd switch <laughs> out that blanket, and, you know. And um, being scandalous, boy. Yeah, but having fun, too. Right. right. Working and everything. I was legit. And for the first time, I was like, you know, and there was no way I was going to. I wasn't going to love anybody. I wasn't going to get close to anyone. Be like, damn, that chick. Remember that chick was here last night? Oh, the one I slept with? Yeah. She died yesterday. Oh, damn, that's crazy. I w- but that would be it. I was not connected to anybody. There's no way I'm getting close to a female. And um, <clears throat> we went on our first date, and I said, you know what? I'm going to take her to one of those little outdoor places in Encinitas. Not too nice, but just nice enough. And we'll be outdoors and we have a little conversation. And I said, oh, you have to try the sausage and peppers. Like, I, you know, like, a, like I'm a fucking renowned dude. Right? <laughs> sausage and peppers, you'll love it. No, they, they, they have a great sausage and peppers. Uh, and so we went there and we ended up getting calzones, right? But, but we talked or I talked her fucking ear off <laughs> most of that night. And then we, we went to my house, went back to my place. And um, it was winter time, and it was freaking cold. And... There was something about being on that quiet street in the cold inside the car together. The windows had fogged up. That was very intimate, right? And very close. And it, I don't know. I just, I mean, if, if we put a candle on the dashboard, it wouldn't have been any more cozy. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, and for some reason, I just started telling her what happened to me with Jezreel. Right. And I fucking cried in the car that night with her. She held my hand. And just comforted me. And for some reason, I, I mean, I've been with fucking 40 chicks 
until I met her, and I didn't tell not one of them. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, could could be more like 12. But, yeah. But some twice in the same night. So. You know what I'm saying? It's still counts. Double down, player. It's still the double pound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bam. Uh, so, um, but I really, I mean, I'm telling you, this was like faded. If you believe in God and all that, then it's true. If you don't, okay. But it could be. It could have been faded. Because it just lined up right when I needed it. I was on the wrong path. Not that I was using or anything, but I was just doing. Not I living right. Yeah, not living right, but living right, you yeah. know. Right. Uh, and so uh, we we uh, talked for a couple hours in the car, you know. And then I guess she just decided that, you know what, I'm going to sleep with this dude. No. Yeah, because I, I already decided you know, like when I saw her on Facebook, <laughs> I had already decided, but I actually, um, and she, she said, yeah, I'll come upstairs. I'll come in, check your pad out. And, uh, I, I just, I somehow locked myself out. I had to climb up on the roof and climb down into the fucking dangle off the edge. And the neighbor's like, Hey, I'm calling the police and all this shit. I'm like, damn, I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to have a good time. And here I am looking like a scumbag already. And she was cool. She just rolled with it. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, dude, I live here. I lock my keys out. So anyways, we go upstairs and we go in my house. And, you know, man, it was just a magic attraction. Like, we literally, were, I mean, we literally made love. Like, like as if we were lost souls or something, you know. The kind of love where you're just kissing each other's bottom lip and just fighting for space in a two-inch space so close and just held each other afterward. And, like, I was so close with her. And we literally called. She went home that night, and I called her almost every day after that until we ended up getting together. And I went to my first. My, I went to a convention with her, and we got a room because she's bougie. She she showed me how to do it. Yes, right? sir. I thought when they remodeled Motel Six, <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> yeah. right? no. Got a kitchenette no. in this yeah. motherfucker. Oh, we're floors two now. Shit. I'm, <laughs> but no, we got a bougie ass room up top. Overlooking the boats and shit at the downtown at the at the Hilton, Hilton, Hilton. yeah wherever it was Ooh. at what year was this this was because uh, I've been with her almost five years so yeah. four, four four years for sure so this was like four years ago the convention and we bro that there. was my first convention righteous dude 2016 yes yeah that was my first convention ever i had 90 days and I fucking I didn't have a room I wasn't doing it bougie I slept in the fucking car and then. <laughs> It was it was the first time I ever met Dustin. I hadn't met Rafi yet, and this motherfucker blew me off tough. Bro, we've already been over this. Right? <laughs> he he cool guy the shit. Out of me. He was yeah. he was like, oh hey, nice to meet you. Yeah, gotta go. Hey, uh, Elise, I'll be seeing you later. We're out. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking wild. Yeah, that was my first convention. Yeah. <laughs> and you still came back. To me. Yeah, and I still it. came I tried back. Holding it together, and I was like. I can't. That's just so fucked up. Oh, oh, welcome to the show, Rafa. How nice of you to be here. Good Thank evening. you for gracing us with your presence. Yeah. So, anyways, um, bougie. Yeah, so, so, and, and, you know, she taught me how to be bougie. We went to stay at like the travel lodge the other day when we went to River and we're like, oh, hell no. I'm like, no, we're not staying. Are kidding me? How, how dare you? Yeah. It's uh, Hyatt or bust, you know? <laughs> but like, uh, and she, we stayed that and we went to the convention and I ran into like a bunch of people that, you know, were clean that I couldn't believe. And it was like a, a, a an eye opener thing for me. Like they were all like James. Hey, I ran into James at the convention and he was with Layla, which is my homegirl from way back too. And I was like, whoa, you guys are getting and like all this stuff, like so many like crazy things that I saw that night. 
you know, people from the past and they were clean and, and, uh, I don't know if I like, that was the first seed planted like, Hey man, I could fucking change what I'm doing and be with this chick, you know? And then we would see each other. I would drive, she would drive out movie night every Friday and we would catch a movie and hang out in my pad and she would go home in the morning or whatever. And then I started driving to her pad and I met her son. I met Carter and her other kids. And, dude, I fell in love with Carter. And he was just like, bro, he was he was wild. Mm-hmm. His dad's a scumbucket, you know. Constant, and, 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 you know, he's a drug addict or whatever. But some some dudes are just scumbuckets, you know. They get clean and they don't, they're worse somehow, you know. But anyways, I ain't going to rip them to shreds. Uh, but Carter was out of control. You know, he was running the show. <laughs> yeah. And, um, dude, he's the best kid now. He does his homework. He gets straight A's in school. He's got everything. Brand new. Do- I, I I walked in and I bought him a $5,000 KTM. I paid cash for it. Damn. At the motorcycle shop. And that's not his first bike. He's got a few of them. And he's got a 55-inch TV on his wall. He's got PS4. Everything he had. And, and, but I was constant with him, and I was patient with him and loving with him and that's what i never had was structure and so i knew what he was missing and that kid loves me like like and he's my like like literally when they um, they were leaving the show the other day or event at elko and harley and he's on the back of the bike with him like a badass Mm -hmm. yeah he's seven years old bro and he does full sets with dumbbells flies he does shoulder presses he does crunches on the machine he does the bench press better stock up on those fucking Trojans, homeboy. Yes, sir. <laughs> he's a little beast. And he's like, he's a natural motocross. He jumps like 10-foot jumps on his 50. And this thing's five grand. It's 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 incredible. I bought him his first bike. I taught him how to ride a bike. I taught him how to ride a motorcycle. I took his training wheels off his bike. They've been on there forever. I took those off and taught him how to ride. I taught, him how, I taught her other daughter how to drive a car and took her to get her fucking license. And she passed. Nice. And mm. gave her a car. Nice. She's still driving it. <laughs> yeah. She's still driving it today. It still runs. Right. Um, <laughs> and like I'm, I'm not part of something. But anyways, uh, so I was driving back and forth to Oceanside, from Oceanside to her house, and I was pretty much there all the time. Now I bet my house is like I'm not even living in it anymore. Like I'm just I just have it and I'm still paying the rent and everything. And um. So we asked drug court because I was getting close to graduating. Hey, can I just move to El Cajon until I graduate? I'll still show up for programs, everything. And she was like, let me find out. Let me ask the parole officer and the probation officer and the judge. And you know what the judge said? Absolutely, dude. It's not, it's, it's not our rules that we do, but you're doing so well. They couldn't believe that I was working where I was working and doing what I was doing. Staying clean. They had no doubt that I was going to handle business and do what I said and make my meetings and make my drives to, for my tests and everything else. And um, so they let me move to North County, uh, to, El- to El Cajon with her. By the motor world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, excuse me. Um, so I, um, during this time, before I actually moved in with her, though, I had, like, a lot of residual drama with chicks that I was seeing while I was in drug court, right? And Marie would, like, always ask me, are we, you know, 
boyfriend and girlfriend and I would just I would never answer I would just laugh I'd say you know I'd just go huh because I was terrified like to commit to her because mm-hmm. I was still doing dumb shit like with other I wasn't like cheating on her or anything but I was like you know we weren't we hadn't locked in like we're exclusive or anything you know even though we were because we saw each other every fucking day you know it's like right. Right. and um, I don't know it was just like this is one commitment's of those, terrifying yeah especially after what happened with jazz and stuff and so this was another defining moment for me. I saw her one day, and her son was there, and I just looked at her, and she said something to me, and I I just looked at her for a moment, and I looked at the kids, and I said, this is a life waiting for me. Mm. All I have to do is, is make it mine. And I just committed to her, and I said, you know what? I really thought about it. Am I willing to give up these fucking chicks or whatever I'm doing or freedoms or what am I, what am I afraid of? What am I going to lose? I've been, I've been around. It's not like I'm never going to, yeah. am I, you know, and I weighed it all out and I made a decision. Am I going to be true to her and good to her? Because I can't kill another one. That's what I was saying to myself. Shit. I can't fucking do it. And you know what? Fast forward. I did step work and I didn't kill her. You know, she was paralyzed and hated her life. And I had a part in her sadness and I played a part, but she was in pain. And that's really why she did it. And I had a part in it. Don't get me wrong. You know, I feel like my head tells me. I don't even have a man anymore. Why try? Why am I fighting like this? You know, it's like just whatever. My head wants to suck me back in so that I feel a certain type of way. Yep. And and start. It's not your head, it's the, your disease. Yeah, yeah, yeah my disease. Yeah, it's like really disease. dangerous yeah. thinking. I can't even like... It's a motherfucker because that thing is never going away. And you know what's so weird? I haven't... This is the most I've talked about her. I talked about her the other night in bed with, with my wife too. And uh, I told her like some of the stuff that we did. Finally, I was like, you know, we used to do this. And, you know, we'd stand on each other's feet in the morning waiting for our coffee. It'd be cold. And we'd stand on each other's feet and hold each other. And she would say, penguins. <laughs> you know, it was the cutest fucking thing. Um, and 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 even if I like, I can't go back and undo that stuff, dude. I can't go back in time and change my part in it. I can't go back and undo the stuff I did. And so, like, I have to let it go. Mm. If I want to live, I have to, because I'm powerless over what happened. I had to make amends to myself. And that's the main thing. And the thing about amends is people go, oh, you know what? And I even thought this. The ninth step is about ma- apologizing to people you hurt and done wrong. And they'll feel better. Mm. No. If they fucking feel better, that's a bonus. It's about admitting what you did and then apologizing for it and being done with it. I'm, I don't owe the world nothing. I don't own no karmic debt. Mm-hmm. I don't own shit I don't have nothing coming. I don't, my car shouldn't get stolen a bunch of times because I was a scumbag. I don't, oh, I made amends. I apologize for that stuff. I identified it. I fucking own it and I can't undo it. And so now I move forward with a clean slate. It no longer dictates what I deserve and what I got coming. That passed. It doesn't. Mm. And so I'm even. And that's how, that's what it's about. If somebody gets, a, and, and thank God it's like nine. Right, because if it was number one, and I said, "Hey, listen, I'm really sorry. Fuck you and your apology. Get off my porch." Oh, fuck y'all! Glad I did you wrong anyway. You're yeah. a bitch anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, fucking, I fucked your wife. Punk. <laughs> yeah, I would. 
totally not mature enough to do yeah. it. These things are stepped for a reason, you know? Exactly. And um, so, like, you know, the, 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 the best thing is that, you know, once I got that railroad job, I got empowered by what I could be. And I used that job to get a better job, believe it or not. It took a lot to get me to quit the railroad because I'd never had status like that. You know, I was a supervisor. I was, I was doing the goddamn. Felt so man. good, and and the cops respected me and didn't, didn't think twice about. You know, I could park on the sidewalk. You know, it was so cool. But um, my homeboy, he's he's uh, in recovery, and he's got a lot of years, and he's he's been to prison as many times as I have. He's a fucking hazmat inspector and safety and environmental protection agent for the shipyards and the Navy. And he's a convict and he's got old convictions too. And he one day said, why are you driving? He lit happened to live in the same brand new houses as my wife did. And he's like, what are you doing with your life in these days? And I told him, man, I'm here. I live here with my girl. We weren't married yet. And, um, I'm a supervisor for the North County transit district. And he's like, what? that's cool, man, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. So I started going to meetings with him and hanging out just a little bit. And um, one day we were talking about the, oh, I bought a street glide so I could split lanes. Yeah. (laughs) I got sick of waiting in traffic all the way to Ocean Side and back. It's a hundred mile round trip. Right. Uh, But then I didn't even ride the fucking thing because it was so cold in the morning on it. I was like, (laughs) fuck, man, I don't want to ride. But um, so we were just talking one day and he's like, you should come work where I work. I can probably get you in. What do you do for the railroad? And I told him. He's like, oh, that's way more than you'll do with us. But you'll have a lot of responsibility. But I, I can plug you and you can do the rest. And so I applied. And this is one of those things like where if you don't believe in God, you probably, like there's enough proof out there. Like first off, God, right? Uh, they used to come to my door and I'd say, hey, man, if, there's a freaking choice. How come I'll burn in hell if I don't go to your church and all the crap? I'd argue with those people over and over. You know, they'd come to my door. Did you know Jesus loves you? And I'd say, oh, really? And, then, you know, <laughs> we get into for, because that's how my dad was. He'd yeah. say, you want, you want reality? And he'd take a boiling pot full of noodles and just chuck it at the wall. Blam! That just happened. That's real. <laughs> that other shit you're talking about is bullshit. And, you know, if you lay down, guess what? You'll die. No one's going to feed you. God ain't going to feed you. Blah, blah, blah. And so I had this mentality, like, subconsciously against God. And I even told my sponsor, man, God, what kind of godless kids die and get cancer and moms suffer and drug addicts run the street? He says, sounds like you believe in God, bro, but you're just mad at him. Damn. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, partner. You don't know me. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> but, um, and, and like, it wasn't a big, big leap to, like, okay, something greater than me. It's, i Wished it, I've, it's protected me many times because I took credit, like I said, for everything I ever escaped. Every close call, every Shit. dodge bullet, I took credit right. for it. I can't fuck with me. But when I got clean, I realized, man, how lucky was I? Oh, my God. What a great, God really did look out for me. I'm here for a reason. I should have been dead. And I started, once my life got value, I started seeing what a luck, how lucky I really was. Because at the time, lucky for what? I you know, I got stabbed a bunch of times. I lived through what? For what? You know? And I'd say, people would share in, early in the meetings. They'd be like, sitting on their hands. I'm fighting for my life today. I don't want to use. 
I just don't want, I'm fighting so hard to stay alive. And I couldn't relate. <laughs> I was like, what, why fight that hard? Just go fucking use, you know, life, life is shitty. Why are you fighting so hard for it? And, and that's the truth. Oh, I didn't fight for that life, but this life is way different. And I'll fight my ass off to keep it. I have a family. I have everything. I have friends, more friends. When, when all those people showed up to my birthday party at my house, there was like 50 fucking people. It took everything in me not to cry. I couldn't believe that many people showed up to my birthday. I was like, well, and it was a surprise. Surprise. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it really like, surprised me. I was like singing some bull gay ass song up the stairs. Baby, you're my baby. You know what I'm saying? I got up. Oh, there's all these people in the kitchen. I was like, no. But it really moved me. I couldn't believe I had that many friends, you know. And um, so like I ended up getting that job. And this is the God thing I was going to say. So I would have never got that job. I used that railroad to step into that position, but that position is, it was a big leap to be environmental hazmat safety officer for the Navy. Okay. Navy ships, inspecting them, telling them what they can't do, where they can store this, how these chemicals can be used, how you can weld, where you can weld, what containment you need to move, to breathe. You can't shit here. You got to shave like every fucking thing. Uh, so I went to my job interview and get this, the guy who hired me, he knows my wife. He used to be a drug addict. Oh shit. Yeah. And he changed his life and turned it around anyways. So he, when I said Marie, because he was my reference, he said, Marie, but Marie, uh, Miles and Marie. And I said, yeah, that's her ex-husband. He's like, that dude's a punk, man. He, I fucking, I used to be a drug dealer. He said, and I fucking, had you know Escondido all south all sewed up man I had all that and Miles he would come around begging for scraps and just he was just a punk and I was like yeah he's a straight punk that's why I took his wife and his kid <laughs> damn right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah because he was because at the time he was still out yeah when I got Marie and he was like asking people hey who's this fool Jay? And, and my homeboy Ronnie told him Jay no slouch bro go ahead and go over there you're yeah, gonna fuck, fuck around. Up. You're going to fucking regret it. And if you fuck up that family, I'll fucking beat your fucking head in. He's doing good. They're doing good. So, but you're welcome to try him, you know? And like, he, he was, he, he's, he, he's PC, so he never really came around because, uh, you know, you can't come around straight fucking riders, you know, whatever. <laughs> even if we're retired or even if we right. ran one time. Still mainline. We're still mainline. You can't come around yeah. with your heads barking and shit. We're exactly. going to clown the fuck out of you. <laughs> so, um, just embarrass you. Yeah, we're just going to embarrass you. So, so, um, what was oh yeah so um interview he's like you know what i feel like you can do this job you can do this i'm gonna train you and i'm gonna get you i'm gonna get you hired mm. and uh and he did and i got hired and uh i trained on on the site with another guy for about three four months and then they sent me to seattle put me up in a hotel room and i went to school out there and passed my Damn. syc certification and I was the only fucking dude in the room that started crying because I knew my life was going to change forever with that cert. I mean, I could work on, I can gas free tanks. I can do anything. I'm SYCP certified shape. And I was so happy and so proud of myself. Cause I mean, we're talking about mathematical chemical formulas, flashpoints, temperatures, expanding. What, when does molecules turn, become combustible? All this shit you had to learn just dumb shit. And then all this NAVC item and OSHA related, stuff but i did it and uh, i worked with them until um till covid hit 
And then I started selling cars and made just a shit ton of money and quit that job. Selling cars? Oh, yeah. I got. I, Where do you work? I don't work. I've literally you flip own, cars? I have my own little business, yeah. Bro, I, I'm a car salesman. I've put almost everyone in this programs in a car, bro. No shit. I got Mercedes, I, Beamers. I got, I got everything. But listen, so COVID hit, right? And uh-huh. I, I said, man, everyone's getting COVID down at the shipyards. I'm going to take a furlough because my wife's on immune suppressant medication, right? And so that's what I did. I took a furlough because I didn't want to get her sick. Catch it and have her fucking die. You know, at the time, no one knew anything about it. Right. Oh, I mean, they could We die. ain't doing this. Yeah, so we did. And I was already selling cars because I've done that forever. I sold dirt bikes, cars, trucks, shocks, parts, race truck parts, wheels, ramp. I'm always this fucking, we, whatever <laughs> it was. Um, and so um, I was doing it 10, 15, 20%. Uh, only BMWs at the time. I was getting them because I bought one and then sold it. And then I bought another one and sold it. And uh, out of the blue one day, I got a $900 rebate check from Harley. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start selling cars, babe. And she said, well, really? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Bro, I've sold probably 500 cars in the last year and a half. Two no years. fucking way. 500. I, I was making, I mean, I hate to say what I was making because then people want more. But I, got, I was you crushed so it. good. Crushed it. And I mean. Bro, I bought brand new. I got factory edition KTMs. I've had so many. I bought Carter fleets of dirt bikes. I bought her other kids' dirt bikes. I bought fucking myself. I have fleets of dirt. I have every fucking thing I could ever want. Everything. I've got cars right now. I got M5s. We got, I, my wife just bought, we bought a, from BMW, a, a brand new, with 20,000 miles on it. It's still brand new. No, no, that's brand new. Twin turbo M series X5. It's a beast. The whole roof is glass, touchscreen, and it has the fucking module if you get tired of driving you know yeah it's like hey hit the blow me button and it gives you the massage <laughs> i was about to say i was like what's the button? Yeah. <laughs> what is that button you, gotta, I get yeah. one? you won't find one in a fucking tundra I'll tell no you that. that's for damn sure <laughs> you, you can go find that in your ford focus yeah you'll find a ford focus. but anyways like so i never went back from the and they called me hey you want to come back i was like no i started making blowing the fuck up i would go to the meetings and carrie you know that she runs the shop and I would, she would help me pick. I would get people like the caravan for the meetings back for cars I bought. And I'd pay them all like 40, 50 bucks. And uh, we'd drive seven or eight cars back at one time in a caravan to my house. I had no lot. I was just putting them all over the neighborhood, you know, parking them in my complex. And the neighbors would be like, hey, man, you have so many cars. And I'd be like, yeah, getting in arguments with them and shit. And, um, I, I, I man, I just fucking blew up. I couldn't believe it. Man, I fucking was on the grind for like a year and a half straight every day selling cars. I sold six cars in one day on accident one time. And I'm, I walked in with $15,000 cash. And I go, babe, I just made this today. Big old wad. And she's like, well, get me something. <laughs> <laughs> and like, literally I've been able to like, mm-hmm. just get, do anything we want. We, anywhere. I bought a boat. I bought all kinds of, man, I just. Do you go to the auction? Yeah, I go auctions online. I buy them online. I buy them off. And now everyone knows me, knows that I'm a car guy. So they call, hey, my friend's looking for a car. Or, hey, my friend's selling a car. Or, hey, this car broke down. She doesn't even want nothing to do with it. Come get it, you know, or whatever. And, like, I've sold Carrie, like, five cars, you know. Damn. I sold all the one that's ever worked for her probably a car. I sold her kids' cars. Uh, and great deals, you know, when I can. And, and, like, it's just I haven't had to even work. Like do nothing. I'm I worked. Th- I'm working this week with my friend because he needs his some help, and I like to do construction stuff. But like, 
I have the most freedoms I've ever had in my life. You know, I could run out and just buy. And I, I used to say, babe, you know you made it when I can buy anything in Costco right now. Anything they sell here, I could pay Costco. <laughs> fucking just like that. Right now. I don't care what they have. Every, Get the forklift. Any fucking thing in this store I could pay cash for. Sick and ass. not blink an eye. And she's like, yeah. I was like, it's Costco, you know. But <laughs> until I saw, like, the, the jewelry section, I'm like, damn, $13,000 for a ring? Not a Costco? I still could have bought it. Yeah. Um, And we got married, bro. And, like, I bought my chick the baddest ring. It was, like, it's so exp- ridiculous. It's fucking money. rock. Ridiculous money, you know. And, like, it took a lot in me to, like, to, not to, like, buy faculty chain. Although I look at this chain all the time. I go, yeah. <laughs> and, like, you know, but I got it. Unknown caller. But, like. That's my brother calling me from prison. <laughs> but, like, l- listen, the, the bottom line is that no matter what you've done, you lost your kids. I hear women share all the time. You know what? I lost my kids. I don't deserve anything. I'll never get them back. Uh, they'll never be in my life. Why should I even try? Like you hear these stuff and it breaks your heart. Right. Because you know that that's not the reality. Mm. And, and look what happened to me getting clean and getting jobs and all that. Mm-hmm. I'm not a unique person. That's a typical experience. Is that a jail call? It is. Fuck yeah. You know how I know? Why? Because I've had a billion of, this is global tell. Let's, yeah. let's. Let's get him on the horn. You want me to? Fuck yeah. Anyone calling from jail, fucking shoot them some love. Shout out. <laughs> Hold on. I'm get, I'll get it plugged in. That's wild. Yeah, I know it's a jail call. It's hey, hold on, fool. Hold on. Hold up real quick. He's, I'm, like, he's I'm, like, real quick, you're not going to hang up on me, are you? No, hey, you there? We're all, we're all getting dressed. Cam. Hey, we're doing the podcast, homie. You're live at five, bro. Uh, yeah, um, I got our, our we got our boy Jason on here, and he, he was telling some stories about Sentinella and doing a little this, a little that. Yeah, what's it? Uh, yeah, how's that going? Where are you at? Man. Where are you at? I'm at Avenal. Ooh. Damn. It is not the business. Ah, damn. <laughs> <laughs> All sorts of seedy characters here. Yeah, no, Avenal is great. I, I bypassed Avenal, but thank God. Once they send you to the desert, you just go there every time, though, no matter what. No <laughs> you get two million points, you're going to the desert. Yeah. Hey, um, Cam, let me give you a call. Call me back. No. Oh, let me give you a call. Call me back in, like, uh, fucking, yeah. like, 20 minutes. Yeah, I got you, bro. You doing all right? Let's fucking go, dog. You know the deal. <laughs> yeah. Hey, stay safe and don't run up no soup debt. Don't get no two for ones, bro. That shit's dead. All right, love you, bro. How cool is that? We got a jail call, bro. Yeah. Right, right here on the podcast. typical. Yeah. And and I share a lot for the convicts because like I didn't relate to anybody until I you know and. It doesn't matter like what you've done and what you got to face. You, there's someone in this place that's going to help you out. These people are millionaires. They own companies or the guy you might talk to might work somewhere where and plug you or just everything you need. Your wife. You, most of us met our fucking chicks in recovery. Everything you need is generated from these rooms, bro. If, if, if just show up and try to be better. People watch and they go, you know what? That fool's trying. And they can't wait to help you because they have so much. They've learned so much. Mm-hmm. Mm. It might be something physical or it might be something 
verbal or just a lesson. And like, I remember, <laughs> hey, I'll bum a cigarette in flip flops and boxer shorts at the hotel. But when it comes to raise my hand to share, I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> yeah. right? I, I, I really I'm am. in some shower shoes and some chonies. Like, hey, yeah. man, we got a new port. And the thing is, is when you finally get the courage to raise your hand, someone else does it at the same time, and the whole fucking room's looking at you. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. You're like, ah, 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 no, fucking never mind. I, I changed my mind. This. I don't need this. Uh, but like now, when somebody shares something that I can relate to or I've been through, I'm literally compelled to share right after and 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 give them some some something, man. You know, just I feel so. And like that's the best feeling is like when you somebody comes up after a meeting or something and says, "Hey man, you know what? I, I really needed to hear that man. I'm th- thank you for that, you know." And it's just like that lasts forever. Yeah. A shot wears off Fe- like feeds nine your, minutes. Feeds your soul. It feeds your soul and it gives yeah. you some value in a different level. It's not temporary. It's like it it, it adds to the perception of yourself, your self-perception. Like I remember I shared about how, you know what, I was stealing batteries for a shot, but I still saw myself as running the yard and shit, <laughs> handling business and getting respect when I knocked on. Man, in the end, if I had knocked on someone's door, it was, you know, they, get off my porch. They never even opened it. You know? like, <laughs> the, the fuck out of here, yeah, Jason. Yeah. Um, but like, so the perception, how I see myself, moments like that, they they add another bit little bit of mortar to your structure a mm-hmm. little bit it becomes a little more solid you know and like that's the greatest feeling in the world to know that somebody got something out of something that you suggested or said and they may not pick up that day or it may have just connected them enough to try it tomorrow again and not use because we go out there and we die mm-hmm. everyone dies but the convicts bro we go out there and we we try to kill ourselves without even knowing it. Run it till the wheels fall off. Yeah. And and like I said, I was telling Dustin, imagine your disease getting a hold of a superhero mm. and exploiting those superpowers to stay high. Convicts have superpowers, bro. We really do. We have the energy, the power, the command, the, the fucking mentality to do anything. We're the guys that run in a hotel room and stab someone or or stand up with a bottle against three dudes with a knife and then get high with them later when they back down you know it's like we'll do anything and like that's why it's so rough on us that addiction gets a hold of those fucking powers and exploits them to do the worst shit and it's just a horrible there's nothing worse and more lonely than a fucking convict stepping off the sidewalk at two in the morning with 30 bucks and a half gram and nowhere to go that's the loneliest motherfucker because they just, you have to put something together one more time by sun up. You're greasy. Your clean clothes are clean, but not clean. And you have no idea what you're going to do or where you're going to go. That's the loneliest place. And I've been there a thousand times, dude. God damn. You know, that is like a lonely place to be. Mm. Stepping off that curve, a little bit of dope, a little bit of money and nowhere to go. Having to make something happen. It sucks. And you ain't going back. Nah, and that's the thing I learned. I don't have to. I don't care what happens. I lose my job. My fucking car burns up. It, which, incidentally, you know, <laughs> um, unless I lose my bike, then I'll go out. I'll die and then come back. And get, you know. But um, I'll be reincarnated. 
but yeah, it, I don't have to pick up no matter what, no matter what tragedy. And and people, if you're out there and you got beef with a family member, really think about that beef because you know what, <laughs> my sister when I relapsed, uh, I put gave her a bunch of stuff. I had valuable coins and and some stuff that was really worth stuff. And I knew I was gonna lose all most of my stuff at some level, so I gave her all that stuff. And she kept it and wouldn't give it back to me. She said, hell no, I'm not giving you nothing. I said, well, get rent me a hotel room at least. She said, you ain't getting shit. And I fucking cursed her. Fuck you, you motherfucker. You did me so wrong. I threw my fucking bike at a fucking train that night. I got off the phone with her and I almost died. It ricocheted right off and came back and almost took my head off. It went by me like this. It went by me with that whizzing sound a bullet has. Yeah. It was a full-size bicycle. I mean, ricocheted off that train. And I was like, whoa. I was fucking... Man, and it, man, it, it was cold that night and raining, and I cursed her, cursed her so bad. And you know what? I had about a year clean, and I was talking to my sponsor, and I said, you know what? I, I should call my sister, man. And he's like, well, what would you say to her? And I said, well, I probably just... Tell her that I feel like she did me wrong, hurt my feelings, but maybe I understand it. She didn't want me to have it and cluck it. She gave it to her kids or whatever. And he's like, well, you know, what if she fucking doesn't want to talk to you? Why if she hangs up on you? Hang up on me. Fuck fuck that bitch. You know what? She fucking broke me. He's like, stop. You're not ready. You're not ready to call her. Yeah. And I didn't call her. And you know what? She fucking died right after that. And I didn't get to make an amends to her. Mm. And I could have. And you know what sucks? Is the second she died, I realized instantly that I I had already forgiven her. Because you know how many times I stole her boyfriend's truck? Or how many times I've shown up at the house and got the house raided, the police looking for me? Or how many times I've hid out in her bedroom with a fucking some tweaker chick while she was at work and came home and got caught? How many times I just destroyed her fucking place and had fucking got, got jumped in her house one time. Fucking he, her kids were in there and they fucking these four fools rode in and fucking stomped the shit out of me right there. And she didn't even know I was home. It's like so many things I did to her. I could have forgave her instantly and I didn't get a chance to. And that's one more regret. And And you know what? I had to make peace with that too. Because my disease tells me this is what you do. You're a fucking low-budget scumbag, you know? Worried about your shit. You could have forgave her. Now she's fucking dead, and you ain't never getting to talk to her again. Fuck yourself. Like, literally. And so, like, people, if you have family business, really examine it. Take it all out. Look at your part. See where, how they might have responded to something you did, or even if they didn't do anything to you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Reach out to them and make amends with them. Fuck, man. God damn it. And, and just try to rebuild because, man, I'm telling you, those regrets, they're heavy, especially for Ugh. an addict. My disease wants to exploit everything I've ever done wrong mm. and use it against me to get me so uncomfortable that getting high seems like a good idea. Mm. And when all those fucking, uh, all those injustices and all those slights and all those disrespects and all those fucking wrongs and all those shames line up, you're in a bad place, bro, because you haven't. You haven't healed from them. You haven't took them all out, examined your part in them, and gotten past them. And and even if your part's shitty, own it and then move on from it. You can't go back and undo it. Mm. Bro, I got to. So 
my dad's got like 36 years clean, but it's all like dry time. And uh, he's on his fourth marriage. He's, I have a younger brother who's in prison and then I have an older sister and like she has a kid that he's seen maybe five times. He's about to graduate high school. I got two kids that, you know, my daughter's 11, almost 12 and he's never met them, but he's on his fourth marriage and her, her daughter just had a kid and he's like all excited about it. And I haven't talked to this fool in like two years before that. It was another five years. He's my number one fucking resentment. And now I feel like I got to fucking call him, bro. You totally do. And that literally, if you believe that there's a power greater than ourselves guiding you. I threw that last little tidbit out of the blue to make amends to your family for some weird reason. Ugh. And and that and if you if you think it might be true, then it and it then it would be. If you like, I just don't things, want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to have this fucking resentment anymore. Yeah, let it go. That's your that's your dad, bro. Who cares? You've been through so much and you've done shit and you've unexplainable wrongs and people looked at you and judged you for who you did and you really didn't feel a certain type of way about it and you can't go back all of that in the end means nothing because that's your fucking dad bro and he may be waiting for you to try to contact with him so he can apologize to you who knows you have a unique opportunity to work on yourself and grow and be the guy that can establish that connection he may be like you said <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Thank you, everybody. <laughs> hey, we'll be back in two minutes, up. two seconds, right? You're <laughs> on the badass love connection. <laughs> um, but literally, he, you have that opportunity. And so you can establish that connection. And he, he, like you said, he may be dry enough not to know how to do it. Mm. And so he doesn't. But he wants it. You know? You may call him up. Dude, like I said, when I finally called my mom, when I realized that my mom, how hard it must have been to fucking put me out of the house I got her number from my sister, and I called her. And it, I didn't know that she was in New York, so it was big time difference. It was late. And, dude, she picked up the phone and said hello, and I knew right away it was her. I could tell her voice, and I couldn't talk. I was like, I was going to cry. And she said, I swear to God, Jason, son? And I fucking started crying. Yeah. I said, yes, me, Mom. She knew. She knew it was me. And so, like, and my mom's clean. I got to repair the stuff. I blame, man, you know what? You started me on this shit. You taught me all this shit. And you put me out of the house because you're all fucking clean trying to get some fucking dick. Fuck you, bitch. You know? <laughs> like, literally, that's how raised I was. I had no. Uh. And, and I saw my mom more like a homie, not like a. And my mom was righteous. She was a fucking straight up G. She was a famous painter, too. She was a dancer and a painter. She painted Barbara Streisand. She painted Sylvester Stallone. She painted Cool in the Gang. Damn. She, she did pastel. She had a shop in Maximum Hotel called La Casa de Arte in Caesar's Palace, too. Um, and she was a hustler, too, just like me. She always had these little things going at once. And she did all the movie marquees for Olivia Newton-John for that movie Xanadu. Mm. And the guy, the producer for that movie, came to our house and they had this party and they were, like, using black magic and all this weird shit. And, and my mama had a bad trip. She had a bad trip. She's like, saw these floating fucking things. And she was screaming and everybody put her on the ground and put ice bags on her head and shit. And we're just kids like watching this shit. And like my uncle Bob, um, he, he, Bob, man, he, he, uh, he sold Gucci handbags and stuff, but, but done ones, you know? And, uh, he ended up getting busted at the feds, but they came with a big RV to our house full of like paintings and all this shit. And uh, he gave me a $100 bill. He goes, don't let no one drive this thing. Keep an eye on it. And they parked it in our yard and put all this fucking tarps and covers on it. Yeah. 
and and then he ended up getting busted and just like that that fucking thing disappeared and i just remember stuff like that you know wild shit like that um but like make amends bro mm. just try it even if you know think about what's really bothering you about it that's what you can do because it, you got to know what the injury is before you can heal it it's all cluttered up with emotion I, everything i see when i think about someone i need to make amends to i see it through the filter of what happened and that's about as far as I look at it. And that filter puts me in the right. It puts me in a yeah. justified place. You know, I did this because you did that or you did that. But, and that's cool for like acquaintances and, you know, dudes that did you or, or ex-girlfriends or whatever. But when it comes to your family, you cannot unlove someone, bro. You can hate them. You can be mad. But you can't unlove them. And you still love him. And so you need to make that gap. You need mm. to make that reach that out and just, I mean, fuck it. Bro, I'm fucking forgive you. Or hey, let's talk. It can be done. You that's a choice you can make. Yeah. And I really think you should do it. I feel like I have to now because the motherfucker's gonna die. <laughs> yeah, mm. it, it, he could. It could. He I could call could. him and then he could. Look at fucking Johnny Grab, my good friend. Fuck. Fuck. I fucking did so much shit with Johnny Grab and just crazy shit and good shit too. And like he was working out and doing all this shit. And just like that, he's fucking gone. You know what? I mean, I'd hate to fucking think that I could have fucking fixed something the night before and didn't. Because my disease wants to use that to keep me in a bad place. That's one more thing I have to fucking absorb and forgive and work through and just... uh, It's just like we don't have to suffer like that anymore. You have all the power and you can make a decision. You're literally responsible for your happiness. So you got to take one chink out of that fucking wall and look into that hole. <laughs> take one brick out and go, ah, I see you over there. Let me take the shields down, Scotty. You know, I, I went everywhere, every meeting, shields up. <laughs> you know, I'm never going to be a guy who stood up and shared and gave a token while you gave a token. And, you know, I was the guy that took my little fucking 30 days because I had to. And, like, I looked at the floor and, uh, you know, I made sure, like, my good arm was showing big, you know, <laughs> a certain way and shit. And like, despite all that and all that shit, I've been through it. Like this stuff still worked. And now like you've got a grasp of this. Look what you're doing. You're, 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 you have a platform for people to reach a bunch of people and bridge that gap and open that line of communication for change. You're literally an ambassador for change, right? Fuck. It, it literally. And, 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 here you are with an opportunity to patch a hole in your drywall, bro. Get that. Make that happen. <laughs> I'm checking with you. All next. Right. Oh, damn. All right. There it is, dude. Fucking A. Shit. Uh, Rafa, a, you what, got any? That was a, fucking. A, hey, listen. What a fucking show. Yeah. I feel like that was a great. A, like, I, I feel like I was just shooting a shit with my bros. Like, uh, literally. You were? That's what it is, man. That was good. Hey, listen. You're fucking. Uh, you're sharing. I mean, everything that you've done, dude, you just, you just brought hope. You know what I mean? Because I, what the, the whole time we were talking, I'm like, if, if you can get clean and stay clean, anybody can. Yeah, despite it, that It trauma. doesn't matter. Despite it doesn't that matter tragedy. What's, what, what, other, what other fucking circumstance you're in. That's all you have to do is reach out, go to meetings, find somebody. Because you're going to connect with someone. 
Absolutely. And, uh, man, I just really appreciate you coming on the show. This is fucking... Dude, I appreciate you guys having This me. is fucking good. Yeah, I like, I like what you were saying about, like, uh, you know nobody's going to take a chance on on a on an addict or or something like you said something along those lines and i was just like dude like i I'm, I'm dealing with the same shit right now like constantly second living in fear constantly second guessing myself on like what am i doing am am i going to quit this job or am i not am i going to concentrate on the food prep thing or am i not and i'm like you know and then like when you were talking about it you were just like you know we all live in that fear you know and i feel like you I got a Karam shot off of that, and then, like, when you just fucking dismantled Graf. I mean, yeah, fuck. good God. You know what I'm saying? So, like, your your message is real strong and real impactful. And, like, what's crazy is, like, you know, my grandmother lives, like, right down the street. So I've seen you a couple times, and I was like, man, this dude look familiar as fuck. And, <laughs> and then, like, that's why I was like, yeah, you live off of Motor World and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So she, we live, like, right down the street from there, my grandmother and stuff. So Yeah, that's that awesome. And that's what it's all about. Like, listen. I'm trying to save you some yeah. pain that I just went through. I didn't get a second chance. And it really, it was really shitty. Because mm. I realized instantly that I could have forgave her and made mm-hmm. it, had a conversation. And she could have seen me with my new family and my, my fucking son. Like, she right could have seen me, like, and been a part of that. But no, I had this old grudge because you took my shit. Mm. Mm. Fuck, dude. And, 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 like, really, when you do it, examine what you're really upset about. Because that's what you never fucking loved me. He did love you. Was he capable yeah. Was he capable of loving you? Probably not. His bandwidth, you know, he he, he had a, he, untreated addiction, untreated alcoholism. Just because he wasn't using no more, he never worked on himself. You mm. said he was dry. Yeah. So his capabilities are limited. You have done stuff. You have done work. And you have changed internally, right? And so now you see this stuff that he's unable to see. He, of course he loves you. You're his kid. He's probably got so much guilt and shame that he was a unable to fucking man up and do what he had to do or be a part of your life. And he uses that to treat himself like shit all the time. I fucking guarantee it. He gets in shitty relationships. He doesn't put any fucking effort into anything because he can't. He can't build anything because he fucking's full of shame and guilt. And you know what? Even if that's true, you love him. You still love him. That's why it hurts that he wasn't there. Because if you didn't love him, it wouldn't hurt at all. And so heal yourself, bro. And if he comes to you out of it and he gets in a place where he can say, I'm fucking so sorry and heal from it, that's great. But it's about you. You make that fucking connection. You talk to him. You forgive him. And then guess what? You love your dad. You can heal. Period. Mm. It's about treating yourself. (sighs) He doesn't even want to say shit right now. (laughs) We stump graph. It's been another episode of the Nineteen Oh Four Show. It's the only thing that slowly stops the ache. I was made of all the things I have to take.
rips. What a great honor you have.